0: Hello, welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. My name is Big Will, aka Uncle Buck. Hey, Will and Tom, Justin, you know me. We're ah, friends. Just that's him in the corner, still here. In the words of REM, right over there. I'm have the spotlight. No, okay. you don't. Oh, I'm sorry. Shit. Because oh. our special guest in studio tonight, none other than Dave Case, bassist of Helmet, Afterbirth, and Killer Hill. You play bass in Killer Hill, right? Yes, sir, I do. How you doing, Dave?
1: I'm doing great. How you guys doing?
0: chilling man very well welcome
1: thanks yeah.
0: yeah doing the christmas come down edition uh when the listeners hear this it's going to be 2020 yes yeah so right. uh happy new year to everybody yes yeah unless they're, unless they're like outside of your house right now but
1: weirdos dave
0: dave case stalkers they're not stalking us they're stalking dave <laughs> come on let's yeah everyone's yeah.
1: getting after bass players all the time
0: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know the rock and roll stereotype they all love the bass bass players the redheaded stepchild of the band <laughs> Well, speaking of you, the red-headed stepchild of a, of a few bands over the years, um, we're going to get into it, we're going to talk about Afterbirth, we're going to talk gear, but um, let's slow it down, everybody, all right, chill out. We just had Christmas, uh, how, how was your uh, festive weekend, Dave?
1: It was, uh, it was lovely. My holidays, pretty much like clockwork every year, what we do and where we go and seeing family all that stuff.
0: Timing. Yeah. Just like, yeah, Important good Important timing.
1: When to beware.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) In the pocket holiday season. That's right. Justin, what about you, man? Yeah, it was nice, Will. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, how was your holidays? I know
3: I'm going to have to watch out for my liver soon. It's going to happen. I got another day or so of just
0: absolute destruction. But uh, so far, so good. (laughs) What about you, Will? One more day of the year. Oh, man. Uh, My my holiday was great, man. Had a a, a few wholesome moments uh, adjacent to a whole bunch of um, uh, crooked, dysfunctional moments, Mm -hmm. as my family does. No, just kidding. Uh, We had had a beautiful holiday. Um, My mom, shout out to my mom, held me down with the Record Reserve gift card. Record Reserve uh, record store of Northport. You can go back and check our episode with Tim. Um, Tim, Tim, formerly of the band Smut, Mm -hmm. pioneering uh, death metal band from the 80s. Uh, we covered all of that in our interview with him, but I, I went back to Record Reserve over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to acquire uh, the first Voivod album on vinyl repress. You Beautiful. know, I the represses are cool with me because I just want the vinyl to listen to. I'm not wheeling and dealing, and collecting. I don't do the eBay thing. I don't pay you know more than a certain amount of records. A record. few different
3: schools of thought,
0: you know. If yeah, you, if I you just want it. It's good. I just want it to jam on, man. And I jam on. It. I did also acquired uh, Mayhem. Uh, Mystery, Mi- Dom Satanists. However, the pronunciation—I uh, pr- I, I don't know—I pronounce it. Yes. got it. Acquired that on vinyl. Um, beautiful repress, controversial album. Beautiful music. I did it. You didn't. I <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, definitely did not. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, that was my weekend, man. Big Christmas weekend. Also, you guys are always going to the flicks. Um, I don't, you know, as you know, I don't do the Netflix thing. I don't go out get out to the movies quite so much. Mm-hmm. I did. I saw. Uh, actually, shout out to my aunt. Helped me down with the uh, the AMC movie theater gift card. So what I did uh, the day after Christmas, I saw Uncut Gems. Adam Sandler. Yes. Great. Um, that's like
2: a, that's a Happy Gilmore 2, pretty much, right?
0: Wasn't happy. No, it wasn't <laughs> yeah. happy, man. There were gills in it. There's a, a scene with a fish. I'm not going to elaborate. I don't want to spoil it. It's really was, selling it yeah. it. yeah. Yeah, the gills, there were more gills. Listen, that movie was like a thriller. I mean it was like it was gangster it was New York City too man so New York City it was a, what a what an amazing movie man edge of your seat trying to trying to keep up with the plot the pace everything I don't I'm trying to try to talk about it without spoiling it for anybody man highly recommended um, definitely take your take your movie theater ticket money take your investment dollar uh, your entertainment dollar and invest it in uncut gems um, Would
1: you say the film was a gem?
0: It it was it was an uncut gem man yeah Excellent. Um. Definitely Delicious. go there. Do not do the Star Wars thing. Allegedly, do that. All right. As long as you, you as can as pirate Star
3: Wars, it's yeah. fine. You can watch both.
0: Yeah. No. Allegedly, you you know. You, technically, I don't think you can pirate Star Wars, man. You know. No, will pirate you. Yeah. Listen. Um.
2: <laughs> Can't wait for the new pirates to come out.
0: Man. I uh, pirates. They travel the world, to make their living. They sure do. Yarhar. I know a guy who travels the world to make his living too. Dave Case, how you doing?
1: I don't work as hard as a
0: pirate though. <laughs> Yeah, but you do travel. You traveled. You've definitely been across a couple of the seven seas by now, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you started out on an island. I did Long Island. What part of Long Island are you from, Dave? I'm from uh, Suffolk County, South Shore, South- Bellport, baby. Bellport. <laughs> and is are you from a particularly creative family? Music running your family, anything like that?
1: Yeah. Um, my mother played organ when she was a kid. My dad played guitar his whole life. My brother played drums in high school. Uh, so, yeah, everyone did something.
0: Wow. Uh, did anybody um, record, tour, perform concerts, anything uh, of that nature?
1: My brother, uh, he did uh, He did a couple of demos with some friends when he was a kid. But he really, I they, they don't think they played shows and stuff like that. They just jammed, they wrote a little bit.
0: Okay, so you're the only one who kind of like took it and ran with it. Yeah. Got yeah. it, got it. All right. And, and was bass your first instrument? Pretty much. I
1: tried to play drums first because mm-hmm. my brother did and he had them laying around. So he would try to like configure him for me. So I was a little bit smaller than him. And yeah. Uh, I liked it, but I couldn't like do the limb separation and didn't have the stamina, or the aggression that he had for it. And so I was like, I don't know, what else am I gonna do? My friends were already playing guitar. I was too young to sing. So I was like, I guess, uh I guess I'll play bass. <laughs> What's so that how, other thing? So looks how looks old like were you when
3: you actually like got a bass and started? My first
1: bass I got when I was 13. Okay. I got it for Christmas when I was 13 years old so. yes. Fender Squire Precision Bass There you go, a little P-Bass yeah. I also don't blame you
3: for
0: not wanting to sing at 13 That's rough <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, want right?
1: to sing now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How,
0: um, even before that all right. What's your musical trajectory Because I know you're, you have an electric, uh, eclectic taste in music What sort of music are you listening to As a young man as a young man, like, um, like around the time you get your bass, what's inspiring you to want to play bass? Is your, is your older brother listening to music?
1: Oh yeah, he got me into tons of tons of shit. Uh, he actually took me to my first concert, which is why I wanted to get into music in the first place. When I was ten years old. He took me to see White Snake. <laughs> there you go. At uh, <laughs> NASA, wow. I'll see him. Wow. Too, right okay. And, uh, Here you go again. Yeah, with the Guardian. <laughs> <in my face. laughs> but uh, yeah, I was I was like just blown away. I couldn't. I was like that's. That's what I want to do. I want to play music on a stage. White Snake, wow, <laughs> fucking, uh, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, we had a we
0: had a big Winger moment on the podcast a few weeks oh, ago. Oh,
1: I'm yeah. going to keep
0: talking about it. You guys are never going to be able to forget <laughs> it or live it down. Don't want to. I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we and Justin are going to do our own Winger podcast, um, the Heavy Wing. Um, Doesn't
1: Reb Beach actually play for White Snake now? I'm pretty sure he's the guitar
0: player. That that sounds yes, familiar from my research. Believe it or yes. not, my
1: brother and I went and saw
0: White Snake again in May. At oh, that's Huntington awesome. Paramount. I'm so happy for but you guys.
1: Thirty years later, that's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> were, they,
0: were they still as tight? Were they good? They were amazing, and they nice. didn't
1: play the tapes. There was no tracks. All right, there was no bullshit. They were like a band playing music.
0: Nice, nice. You know, he, Professionals. Can't,
1: he can't. hit that. Here I go. Mm. But he still went for it, and he like his voice broke up, and it sounded <laughs> amazing. He just like he just kind of wailed it. Just here I go. It was, Love it. I'd
2: be singing it like so loud by myself anyway, so I would oh, sh- really, yeah. really not even, <laughs> even hear him at. Yeah, you know? pretty but much. Just want to see that that band move. Yeah. <laughs> my brother
1: and I have a weird tendency to see the same band years and years apart from one another. Like seeing White Snake thirty years apart. We also saw Michael McDonald twenty years apart. Saw him in nineteen ninety eight and then saw him again two that, years ago. That's yeah, fantastic. I'm sure that I'm
0: sure he never gets old, right? No. Yeah, Actually,
1: yeah. he looks like a ghost now because his oh. hair is all white. Yeah. they just they, The way they light him, I tried to take some pictures of him at the <laughs> last show I saw him at, and you could see everyone on stage playing, and he just looks like this white entity. orb in just, front
0: of the microphone. <laughs> but it still sounds like this. <laughs> Fucking amazing. Lo- I would love to see him live. All They're jokes incredible. aside. Incredible. Um, bask in the aura of that, that globe, that orb. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> So you, you get your first bass around 13. Are you jamming with your brother?
1: A little bit. I mean, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I learned everything by ear. So I would just like any song that started with a bass line, I would, I'd figure out that bass line, and I would loop it. And he
0: would just we'd play along, lock and, in. Any lessons at any point, or are you?
1: I did. I took some lessons uh, a couple years into playing. I started playing. I didn't really have any sense of direction. I didn't really know what I was doing, even though I could. I had a good ear. I could figure out like songs and stuff, but my technique sucked. I really didn't have any, like I said, a sense of direction. So I sat down with a couple of people. I went to uh, Family Melody in Patchogue, downstairs at the Rock Shop, and I took some lessons down there from uh, a good guy named Steve Palmer, rest in peace. He was—he's uh, pretty much the guy who pointed me in the right direction. with how to play right, and you know, he just. I, he was a good mentor for me. Mm-hmm. I start, I sat down. I started popping and doing shit. He's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, stop, stop! I don't know what the fuck you think you're doing." <laughs> but we're gonna fix you up. Yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, that's what he did. I Need a guy like that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all? Yep. Love we'll corn
0: too much. From just popping everything. <laughs> um, so now, uh, Cody, Cody Drasser, the guitarist of Afterbirth. I know you go back pretty far with him, right? Uh, yeah, since I was four. <laughs> okay, so you know him before music is even really a thing in your life. You guys you guys basically grew up together. Absolutely. Okay, and um uh does he get into heavy metal first? I Yes. Okay, if I remember correctly. By the way, just for the listeners, obviously, um, I'm the current singer of Afterbirth, uh, and I've been singing in Afterbirth since 2016, I think it was, I, I signed on. Um, but, you know, I from anything before 2016, I'm a fan of Afterbirth, you know, so hence the, the tone of this interview. Gotcha. So as, as we're, just for the listeners. Um, so you, so you you grow up with Cody Drasser, but I assume he kind of takes the, the headfirst plunge in the metal before you a little bit?
1: Yes, and mainly because he was two years older than me. Okay. So when you're kids, two years is a pretty big gap. He's in high oh, school yeah. before me. He's in, you know, yeah. hanging out with older kids before me, and retrieving all this data and coming home. You're like, yo, check this band out. Yo, check this band out. And it always it started out with like thrash bands, like uh, Testament, Creator, Forbidden, shit like that. And it just gradually got heavier and heavier into other different stuff. Prong was another one he showed me early on, hmm. which
0: I guess it's kind of like metal. It's
1: weird stuff.
0: But yeah. and, and you just toured with Prong with Helmet, we right? We did, yeah. Wow.
1: That was pretty amazing. It was a lot of fun.
0: Prong is awesome live.
1: They are. They were fantastic.
0: Yeah. I, I love
1: I, a three-piece, too. I really
0: I, do. I it. saw them completely by... I have, I have an awesome Prong story, but I don't want to veer off a tangent, but I saw them in Seattle kind of accidentally just like trying to kill a night at a club on an off day of a tour, the uh, club that we had performed at, and I went back the, na- the next day and the bouncer remembered remembered me as the guy from the death metal band that had played there, and he was nice enough to let me in, and I go- I got to see Prong for free, man. It was so sick. Nice. Yeah, man. Prong is Prong is a great band to see live. Yeah, they were good. But, um, alright, so, so you're getting into bands uh, with Cody. Um, are you in any bands before Afterbirth? Yeah, I was in some
1: high school bands. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually played my first show ever at our high school battle of the bands when i was 16 just some friends i played with bunch of covers actually we did a helmet song we closed (laughs) we closed our set with unsung wow (laughs) that's awesome let's talk about a sign of things to come yeah Yeah,
0: it's prophetic man yeah yeah you you were you were in it for the long haul with that man it's like some is that is that the secret is that what the
2: secret's about yeah Yeah. yeah. (laughs) just (laughs) put it out in the universe there 25 years later
3: (laughs) It. I, I think all those are dream boards or something like that. Yeah, right. Dream board. Yeah. It's a yeah. like Sonic
0: dream board. Yeah, you you were just doing the Sonic version of that. That's, that's fantastic. That's it. it yeah. the. Notebook. I didn't even know it. Wow, books yeah, right?
2: work. Books do work. <laughs>
0: Now I know there was a bass player in Afterbirth before you, right? Alex. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I guess um, he he left the band, or you know, whatever, whatever they they parted ways. Mm-hmm. And then you, obviously being Cody's like lifelong friend, it just kind of like worked. Like I know this bass player Dave, that type of thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I was hanging out with those guys already anyway. Cody and Matt met, I guess. Cody had just graduated high school. I was still going to school, and uh, he met Matt, and they started kind of screwing around with some music together writing riffs and believe it or not they spend most of their time in my garage across the street from where because cody and i grew up across the street from each other yeah and i had a garage that they can mess around in and stuff so sometimes i'd even like come home from my my job at a grocery store and the two of them would just be in my garage (laughs) working out riffs and stuff
0: matt did matt play guitar he
1: he did a little bit he uh he wrote he would like introduce a riff to cody and then
0: cody would perfectly, because that's what Cody does. That's what Cody does, yeah, and then Matt will come up with the vocals. Yeah. We're, also, we're, we're talking, obviously, about Matt Duncan, yes. uh, original singer of Afterbirth, rest in peace. Um, so uh, so, you, so, these guys are kind of writing. That's interesting, because um, we just talked to, uh, shit, I can't even say who we just talked to, because that interview's coming out after this one, but we, but we did talk to a 90s death metal band where after one member uh, left the band, he let them continue rehearsing in the band for a year. Oh, wow. And the listeners will know in, in the next few weeks. Find out next week yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a following week. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, the suspense continues. But it'll all make sense soon. So, um, all right, wow. So, and then where when does Keith Harris, uh, Afterbirth's drummer, come into the picture?
1: It took a while for them to find a drummer, I think. Uh, I'm having trouble remembering how they even got a hold of Keith. I think it was through somebody Matt knew or was dating or friend of a friend kind of deal
0: yeah if I've heard Keith and by the way um, for the listeners too we plan on having Cody and Keith on eventually in, in the podcast it's all part of our, our big plan but um if I remember Keith telling me correctly I think he was friends with, with somebody like a friend of a friend type thing and, and they were like yeah uh, you know my, my band needs a drummer or something like yep, that.
3: Yeah, pretty much. I feel like yeah. That, that's how a lot of drummers are found, though. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're They're <laughs> yeah. in high demand and, you know.
1: Yeah, I know this guy. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know him, but
3: someone
2: knows one.
1: He's weird, but, you <laughs> know, he says he plays <laughs> drums and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, I remember uh, remember being around when, when Keith was first coming down to play, and he never – he wasn't really, like, a, a metal player. He, had, he, he obviously had chops and he could play really well, but, uh, you know – he didn't really do blast beats or grind beats or anything like that. And then a few days later, we got back in the room. And I was, again, I'm just a spectator. I'm just hanging out. I'm not playing in the band yet. I'm just one of the friends, chilling. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he starts doing a, a fucking grind beat. I'm like, holy shit! Like, this is like a totally different drummer. I'm like, how the hell did you figure out how to do that? He's like, oh, I worked all weekend on it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. In a in yeah. a weekend, you became a death metal drummer. Okay, cool. So. You got some, you got some skills,
0: man. Keith has like uh, a, a, a like a natural kind of uh, instinctual musicianship to him, man. He's he really,
1: really does. He's yeah, a, yeah, he's freaking yeah, alive, yeah. man. Like it's,
0: you know, it is, seeing it is, you guys like, at the, uh, at
3: the um, it's nuts. Yeah, the last time I saw you at Vitus, like with the uh, Eric Lindmark. Uh, oh right, the, the, um, the tribute tributio? show. Yeah. yeah, like holy shit, the, the the mix was perfect and just like he, he sounded fake.
1: <laughs> he sounds fake. <laughs> He yes, has perfect. such control over how he hits mm-hmm. and his timing is impeccable. He always seems like he's nervous or like <laughs> he's gonna screw up. Like he like anyone else, he builds anxieties uh, in his yeah. head when we're gonna play or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But then once he sits down, it's like you can he's like the most reliable drummer you can imagine. Freakish. And he makes it look so easy. I've watched him just play yeah. a blast beat while he's eating a banana. <laughs> and looking at his phone, and just he doesn't get tired. Yeah. He, he's not ne- like he's not, ne- you know, Will. He's never the one at practice to be like, uh, can we call him, man? I'm bushed. Like, he, he never, he's never like that. No, the he always like, like, how you doing? Yeah. He, he's like, I'm oh, fine. Can he's you, like you a, do it again? He's like, yeah, sure.
0: Technical, <laughs> like, breakneck speed, blast speed, death metal <laughs> song for like four and a half minutes. Yep. And he just like chuckles and takes a swig of his beard. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Like, okay, what's up? Yeah, man. No, no ego at all, man. I think that's no, that's no, like no. the most, um, like that's that's what throws you off the most about Keith is like if 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 anyone gets the opportunity to watch Afterbirth live, just try to have a little conversation with the drummer first, and then watch him play play. You'll be like, wow, that guy was in a band. <laughs> you'll, you'll think that yeah. that was just the guy delivering the beer or something yeah. for the night, man. Yeah, man. And
1: he's a he's a color, yeah. colorful yeah. character.
0: Yeah, you know, blue, you co- would, blue collar hero.
1: You would, yeah, you wouldn't know it by looking at him, but. <laughs> that kid, man, he's got chops.
0: So, yeah, man, I, we yeah, we went on a uh, big big Keith uh, hole just now, man, but it's yeah. all good. He's a, he's we love a great great guy, man. You fucking rule, dude. Shout out to Keith and Cody. Um, and, uh... uh Keith, it's like you said. He, he he joined the band. Now he had chops when he joined the band because he seems like a guy that's probably been playing drums all his life,
1: pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and piano too. By the way, he plays piano yeah. like a motherfucker.
0: Yeah, he uh, plays um, keys on a few select cuts from the new uh, upcoming Afterbirth album uh, right. out soon on Unique Leader Records. Just in case you were wondering how uh, Dave coincidentally got on a podcast this uh, this time. <laughs> Nepotism. Um Well, you sing for Afterbirth. Right? Just yeah, currently. <laughs> so You're in currently, a band yeah. currently. So, um. uh, This is for the listeners. (laughs) Now, you weren't on the rehearsal demo, right? No. That was was the guy, Alex, who was the original bass player. Yeah. Um, But you do join the band for Psychopathic Embryotomy. I do. Yes, I do. Now, uh, I wish I had the the track listing for the rehearsal demo. Were you involved in the writing of the songs for Psychopathic?
1: Um, not so much the writing, but I did have a little bit of carte blanche as to what I was going to play inside of the riff. Yeah. You know, like. I tried different things to go along with what was going on. I, it's a one guitar band. You don't always want to play in unison, only when you have to. And you you want to create more space and more uh, more texture and more color with uh, with what you're playing. So Cody always kind of knew that, too. And he knew I like to play off-color stuff or whatever. I was into funk, and I liked disco when I was a kid, just because the bass lines were cool. And I listened to a lot of Primus. And I, Fancy myself some slap happy fucking kid. (laughs) I even tried to incorporate some of that stuff in the early shit, which I did, and it worked kind of well. But I don't, I don't really do that anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, made it stand out. Um, and that psychopathic embryotomy demo, I don't want to breeze over that because for for the listeners, especially our brutal death metal fans, it's become a cult favorite. I've told the story many times about how that's one of the first things Adam Rotella uh, dubbed for me, and. You know, I, I've been a huge fan of it to the point where, I, you know, obviously now I know the songs enough to want to sing them and everything. Um, what what do you remember about the recording of that demo? And we've talked a little bit about how um, the guitarist of Inner Strength, Joe Marcel. Joe nice. Marcel, that's Gu- right. Guitarist of Inner Strength, uh, yeah. kind of a prog metal band from Long Island that we've talked about on the podcast, just had a bunch of their stuff re-released. He engineered the Psychopathic Embryotomy demo. That's right, yeah. We know that much of the mystery. What? <laughs> can you... Can you tell us anything else more about, like, the sessions or uh, just the, rec- you know, the the um, the environment, the atmosphere you guys had that, you know?
1: Yeah, I remember we, we did it at Legend Studio, mm-hmm. and it was my first time in a recording studio. I remember there were some isolation rooms. I remember setting up my rig in a concrete room with a mic. Uh, I remember Keith being in a separate room with glass, and it was the first time I'd ever seen a, a drum kit we mic'd, mm-hmm. and it, like, blew my mind i was like holy shit (laughs) it's like a whole other kit around the kit
3: yeah it's intimidating you know it's like an octopus you know it's like
1: all of a sudden there are twice as many stands there's shit hanging from the ceiling there's Mm -hmm. stuff room mics across the the way and don't trip on that room mic yeah i I just i had no bearings i had no idea what the hell was going on i just i probably asked way too many questions it was probably really annoying (laughs) i was i think 17 years old wow yeah it was june of, like, 2004 or something like that.
0: 1994, you mean? Yeah. What did I say? 2004. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, the years. I know how old the, you are. The years fly by. <laughs> but, yeah, it was 1994.
1: I was 17 years old.
0: So the other guys were probably around 19 then, right?
1: Yeah, about yeah. 19. Matt yeah. was probably about 20.
0: Was it tracked live? Yeah, yeah. The whole guitars, bass, drums? We
1: did. We did it like that, yeah.
0: And what about vocals? Were they dubbed later?
1: Vocals, Matt did. Shit, did he do live he might have done them live no no because I remember we had to break break down to make room for him to do his vocals and he went into one of the ISO rooms by himself with a handheld just a, a, an SM58 and kind of did his mat thing he was a very uh kind of a gut player <laughs> he very uh, physical yeah, when, yeah, he, when yeah. he did his, his thing yeah. so he was in there you know just shorts barefoot no shirt just running around screaming.
0: Yeah, he used to go barefoot, no shirt all the time, right? That was like his... Uh, that's how I met him. His style, right? <laughs> yep, that's how I met Matt
1: Duncan. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, and maybe if you could, man, um, I mean, you know, in in, in um, you know, m- memorial of the guy, um, just maybe talk a little bit about uh, how Matt was back then, like the, the Matt that you knew when you were playing shows and performing around that era of afterbirth. What was he like? Uh, with all the love in the world,
1: I will say he was a psycho. He was a fucking psycho. The first time he we met, he grabbed me by the throat and told me that he could kill me. And then he ran off into the darkness of the night, barefoot, with no shirt on. <laughs> down the street in Bellport, down in my Bel- block. I was like, I just watched him Bellport. disappear into the shadows. So you're
3: thinking to yourself, I hope I never see that guy again? And then the following week, you were in a band with him? <laughs> I
1: was like, shit, I hope this guy doesn't kill me. Wow And then, uh, then after that, he just sort of softened up, and I realized that... You just Not that it's an act, but he's got a soft side, too. He's actually very funny. You know, he could be real funny. Like, I remember, I was actually listening back recently to the podcast you guys did over at the compound, the Pyrexia compound, where you mm-hmm. sat and spoke to us about the early days, uh-huh. <laughs> and Cody did an impersonation of me. Yeah, yeah. Come on, let's play Rhode Island. He, yeah. he had this funny fucking voice that didn't match what he did on a microphone and then when you talked it was like hey cody what's going on
0: it's really <laughs> sounds really like a very deep long island accent <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i know what you're talking about
1: oh go gonna play Rhode island yeah, yeah that's how we, that's how he spoke and then he <laughs> fucking grabbed a mic and he was in human
0: yeah yeah man. Funny. yeah man and for the listeners you can always go back there's old videos i think there's actually an old uh, internal bleeding video from the Roxy where Frank Reaney gives the mic to to Matt. Uh, Matt comes out for a song, and there's there's things like that. (laughs) That's a good one. I'll try to link it on the social media. Matt had a definite stage presence live. Oh, for sure. Um, So, uh, Psychopathic Embryotomy. I know you guys did a little bit of... Oh, maybe before we move on from that, do you remember uh, what your gear setup for the bass was on that?
1: My gear was uh, a Washburn MB-5. It's my first five-string I bought when I was like 16. My had I just gotten my first big boy rig. It was a Harky Harky 3500, I believe. The head was the head, and the cabinet was a crate with two 15 JBLs in it.
3: Everyone's got one of them crate caps lying around, man. That's, yeah, yeah. But they. I mean, they're good. I, I loved it. It had JBLs
1: yeah. in it, so it sounded fantastic. Yeah. Fifteens. I mean, I didn't know any better. I just <clears> knew <throat> they were big and loud. I didn't realize that. 10s had more articulation and things like this. I never had the SVT refrigerator rig.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple schools of thought behind that whole like, what speaker size you
1: want and all that. I didn't know any better then. I was just a kid.
3: Sometimes that's just how you make a sound, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You you make a totally blind decision and then you learn how to play around it.
1: Pretty much, yeah. It took me a long time because I always had crappy gear before that. Mm -hmm. So I was playing harder and overcompensating and then took years to learn to let your gear do all the heavy lifting. You mm-hmm. know, use volume and tone, and like back off on your hands so you can reserve your energy for playing. Yeah, like, makes sense. Used to play way too hard. Used to fucking break strings all the time. Breaking bass strings, which that's the insane. Time. Yeah, that's but that's dangerous. crazy. I learned dangerous. how to lighten up. We also tuned down a little bit, so it made the strings floppy. And realized that that would be part of my tone too. Is like, yeah, clank.
3: Oh like, yeah, just tuning down a half, half step. We tune
1: down a step and a half.
3: Yeah, so that'll you, you'll hear a lot of that, like, uh, you know, the the great of, of the fret.
1: And even yeah. now that I know better, I still do that for Afterbirth because it's part of the sound.
3: Yeah, uh, I think it's a great sound. I mean, <clears throat> listen, listen, to, listen to old Campbell Corpse recording Alex Webster. He's it's just like all clang, yeah. clang, clang, clang.
1: Fucking amazing player, man. Yeah. I've, uh, I got to meet him. <clears throat> we, uh, I can't remember what festival we were playing uh, when I was in Helmet. Uh, it was a Helmet show somewhere. And I just saw him walking to the stage with his bass. Just like thrum about to go play <laughs> and I had to stop and say, "Hey man, I, I know you don't know me, but I love you. You're fucking great. I bought your <laughs> I bought your instructional book. It's fantastic." <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And he was super friendly. And then he went and just fucking, killed,
0: you know, yeah. he's an animal. Yeah. Professional man. Yeah. Total professional. Total pro. Um, wha- so while we're while we're still kind of like in the old school Bellport, Long Island uh, early 90s era, one other individual from from your past that I wanted, I wanted to bring up because uh, we've had him on the show, Uh and the I think character. I know who you're going to. You know say. where I'm going because we brought it up in his interview. Um, you and Cody went to the same high school as Greg Layman That's of, right. of Telak voven Yes. We okay. Did. We used to hang out all the time. Well, right, so br- bring me back to you guys hanging out in high school, man. What, what was what was up, man? What did you guys? You, I know you guys used to trade CDs and stuff, right? We yeah,
1: that we did. Well, Cody, again, I sort of. You know, kind of follow Cody's leaks. He was older, and he was meeting people first. And Greg was one of the other weirdo, outcast metalheads in school. Mm-hmm. So it was like really just the three of us sitting at the lunch table, <laughs> not <laughs> not fitting uh, in with
0: anybody else, talking about bands. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and was Greg like the the taking his shirt off and lighting things on fire for Satan guy back then?
1: Uh, kinda. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I don't remember his shirt coming off because we were in school. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to go. He he lived. Uh, not too far. like We could walk to his house from where we, mm-hmm. we lived, and mm-hmm. we used to hang out in his basement. He had like this dingy, like out of like central casting basement setup, where like his bed was in the corner with all these posters everywhere. It was. A, he had a total metal lair mm. down in his basement. It he, still, still does. Yeah, bunch, yeah pretty much. Bunch yeah, bunch of amps and guitars, like, like all kind <clears> of <throat> looked sort of like. Beat up, laying around. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: he's kind of like like made that his. Uh, yeah, that's like, his aesthetic. Yeah, like, no, no, like he still has that. Yeah, and you know, I'm saying this with all due respect, man. Sure, the guy's yeah. a lifer, lifer for oh, sure. Oh yeah, no shit, he like some people spend their whole life trying to figure out who they are, and I feel like Greg just he's he, you know he, he knows he knows who greg layman is you oh know yeah what I'm saying? yeah he's yeah, uh for real
1: he's always been that guy
0: so shout to greg layman, from to greg Vovin. layman. i just love the idea of picturing the three of you as teenagers like the outcast teenage metal heads at the lunch table <laughs> flash forward to 2019 the three of you you know you you, you guys are in afterbirth he's in teloc volvin you're all in underground metal bands and this is what you do you know it's still your passion I, mean, I, I love things like that I Man, it's It's something I just want to convey to uh, our younger listeners who maybe haven't found their way in metal yet, too, man. You know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. You know, every everyone who's in a band, not you know, first of all, we all work day jobs. We're blue collar slobs ourselves or something like that. None of us are like living large off of metal, but um, you know, I have found it as a lifestyle. I've kind of like developed, you know, a community and a circle, a network of people around myself. Right. And um, you know, the younger people who are still kind of outcasts in their in their high school and their community got to remember that too, man. It's tough.
1: It is. So. It can be. But you find the cool people, you hang out with them.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. And, in, and until then, you hang out with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Psychopathic Embryotomy, man. Um, that, that demo comes out. Are Had you guys been playing a lot of shows locally before that?
1: A uh, few. Mm-hmm. Not. We. I don't remember playing tons of shows. They played a bunch of shows before I was in the band. Yeah. And, dude, if we played, like, six or seven shows... Ever with me on base? I think that was probably about it.
0: Wow! Did you go to Rhode Island? I did turtle? not go to Rhode Island. You weren't okay. Was we, in the band yet? Yeah, we have a, a famous Keith. Told a drinking story yep. from quarter, Rhode Island. Quarter on, beers. Yeah, yeah. On the uh, py, the Pyrexia compound, uh, um, Pyrexia yeah. Twitch uh, interview episode. From Using
1: that, the uh, the the toll change to get yeah. quarter beers.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The famous. Yeah, you've heard the story a few times too. Uh,
1: <laughs> sounds like some he would have done.
0: Sounds like yeah. Sounds like your boy Keith. Um... Uh, all right, so a lot of those shows though you guys played the Roxy a lot, right? We did. Yeah, we played there a bunch. Were you did you play the show where it was Matt's wedding that day? Yeah. So did. could could you tell us a little bit about that story just for the listeners?
1: Uh sure, I'll tell you what I can remember. Uh, <laughs> remember we went to the catering it was like a <laughs> catering hall type of wedding.
0: So like a, more of a conventional wedding reception setting. A
1: very yeah, pretty okay. much, you know, friends and family, everyone okay. dressed up nice. Yeah. And uh I vaguely remember like, having to hurry to get t- <laughs> to the Roxy after the wedding yeah. for the for the uh, the what-have-you. And everybody was in a very festive mood. Everyone was having a great time. Matt was super happy. You know, it, was, it was a very jovial feeling that day. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I remember it being kind of an early show, maybe.
0: Okay, maybe it was like a Sunday or something? Could have been. And do you remember the other bands that played? No. Okay. You guys probably got pretty uh, funned up. Yeah. Yeah, you got blessed up for the wedding, man. That's cool. <laughs> so, yes. What else are you going to do? <laughs> so, what eventually happens that after goes your separate ways? Um,
1: I think what happened, well, actually, yeah, I'm starting to come back. We were we we're doing a design for our, our first long sleeve. My brother was helping me out because he knew a merch guy. And then one day, Cody called me up. He's like, tell your brother not to bother with the shirts. I'm like, why? What's up? He said, Keith, just quit. Uh, I said, Oh, shit. And I think his concerns were just, you know, young, naive concerns about why aren't we making money and why are we doing this and why aren't we doing that. And he didn't understand how to get there. I think he just wanted to be there without knowing how to get there. Yeah. he just had yeah. some, some youthful frustrations and was getting impatient and wanted more out of it, I
0: guess. And you guys are, I mean, you're still, I guess, probably around 17, 18, they're old, 19, 20-ish. Yeah, we yeah, were young. Yeah, so you guys are kids, really kids, yeah. And,
1: uh... I'm sure there was more to it than that, you know, maybe he had personal issues or something like this, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I was really bummed because I was excited about, you know, the future of the band. I thought we were doing something really cool, and, like, we didn't really know, musically we didn't know that what we were going to do was going to stick around. People were going to, like, like it for so long. The internet. But I just, I just wanted to be in the band. I I loved, I loved playing with those guys. Cody's my best friend, why wouldn't I want to be in a band with the guy, and, so, we just knew we couldn't replace Keith. I mean, this obviously it's a lot easier now to find musicians with social media and the internet and stuff like that. But back then it was all word of mouth, and mm-hmm. he had gotten so good so fast that we we're like, who the fuck are we gonna get that can play this stuff? You
0: know? Keith, I mean, you know, whether I was in a band with him or not, and I wasn't in, in any bands with him for for you know most of my life, and I would always say he's got a signature style. That's, he, he really does. You know, that, that's Keith. You know, you can always tell when Keith's playing. Um, so
1: I guess we just didn't want to bother looking for a new drummer. And mm-hmm. Decided to call it quits. Mm-hmm.
0: And how soon after that did you and Cody form No Mankind?
1: That was probably about two years later, three years later. It's actually a, a couple of other buddies of mine started the band. Uh-huh. And was uh, guys I was playing in another band with, they wanted to do something. It was sort of hardcore, sort of rap. Yeah, very nineties. 90s.
0: Extremely, 90s. <laughs> extremely nineties. It is. Yeah, get your it visor was, and your was, Genco yep, jeans jeans, uh-huh, your a chain wallet on. baggy jeans talking. and all that get shit. Get to be sick. But yeah. um, yeah, Well, the No Mankind thing, I, I did, I did look it up, and I noticed that Sal Rico, that's an old friend of Cody's, right? Yeah. I've, I've met Sal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he actually has it on his YouTube channel, so for the listeners, uh, you might be able to uh, catch it. There's one song by No Mankind up there, and I had to listen to it because it. It's kind of like a, like a tough guy, New York, Long Island, hardcore, 90s hardcore thing that does go into you know elements of new metal and rap at times. Mm-hmm. But if you're listening to it from an afterbirth fan's point of view, there's some interesting parallels because it's still the two of you on guitar and bass.
1: Yeah, Cody, he just writes inventive stuff inherently. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Whatever, yeah. whatever project he's working on, he, he comes up with really cool stuff. He did a lot of, since we weren't like a metal band... He did some more experimental things with his playing uh, A lot of cool shit with harmonics mm-hmm. like More of a rhythmic approach, I guess, to his playing mm-hmm. As opposed to like blurry fucking million mile an hour riffs <laughs> and stuff like that But, but uh, Yeah, it got more textural and more, you know Just more kind of choppy staccato type of stuff so. Yeah, very rappy <laughs> it was like yeah, a, no. It was a, it, it, you gotta, gotta kind of make room for the rhythm music like that, you know. And
0: e Town Concrete was uh, getting big back then, man. You know, it was a thing. Man. It was. You know, it, it, it was. Uh, Rage Against the Machine was, you know, not too far off the uh, the airwaves. Yeah, nope, nope. So much stuff. <laughs> Speaking of hardcore uh, that blurs the lines with new metal and and um, well, I, I don't know so much about rap, but definitely blurring the lines with new metal. How soon do you join Cleanser then? What what year do you join Cleanser? Because you weren't an original member of that either, right? No.
1: No I'm never never an original.
0: <laughs> That's the smartest strategy cuz you step back and you say Are these guys worth joining is, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I wait for someone else to do all the heavy lifting and I go, "Okay, uh what can I do for you?"
0: Yeah, I'll learn a couple of these yeah, things. I'll Plus show. you're like for, for any reason
3: at all, you're a little down there on the liability. You know, what do you mean? Something something comes out. Maybe you weren't so happy with it, even though you were involved. <laughs> so hey, I was just joining the band. I was just get just, my bearings.
1: You know, hey man, yeah. I just work here. It was yeah, a gig. <laughs> it was a gig.
0: Yep, pretty much. <laughs> so it's good to be a uh, side man. Uh, well, let's. I mean, let's back up to how long do you know Keith Moore? I met Keith um, pretty much just out of high school. He was okay. A, I,
1: I went to Bellport High School. He went to Pat Med, one district over. So we really didn't even, even know each other until right after high school when their cliques of music guys and our cliques of music guys started seeing each other at shows and stuff like that. And uh, I think, again, Keith's another dude who I met him. He was just in, like, shorts with no shirt, (laughs) no shoes. He didn't own a wallet or or anything. He (laughs) never played with pants on. Sometimes he played totally naked.
0: Oh, boy. He's come a long way. (laughs) He has. When he got a
1: beeper, we were beside ourselves like, He's got a pager? Well, you know, he's have a car, and then he had a car.
0: Yeah. Like, holy shit. Moving on. I mean, see, that's, dude, he's, he started from the bottom, well, now yeah. he's here, all right? He used to
1: walk his drums yeah. down the street to gigs, like he'd be playing down the road <laughs> in some, some place on 112, and he would just, one by one, he'd grab his floor tom or his bass drum, and he'd carry it over his head, walk a few blocks, <laughs> drop it off, go back to his house, grab more shit.
0: <laughs> We're talking about Keith Moore. My who buddy. was the drummer of Cleanser, amongst other bands, uh, and also um, the the uh, producer behind Audio Playground uh, Studios. He's recorded uh, a lot of Buckshot Facelift and Grey Sky's Fallen recordings, uh, amongst many other bands um, locally here on Long Island. Yeah. You and I go way back to man. Yeah, man. I, that's, that's why I asked you how long you knew because <laughs> I knew I was going to get the, the shirtless yep. carrying drum story. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an epidemic yeah yeah it's out there in the the Mastic Shirley uh, general area (laughs) yeah
2: so so we know Cleanser Tom and I know Cleanser because our old manager Christian McKnight Christian please baby call me please (laughs) what up Chris Um, we're trying to get
1: him on the podcast too he's a great guy
2: man please I haven't talked to him in so long uh, just yeah. call me, I miss you
1: okay. Good pal, very yeah. busy though Yeah, he's always busy, yeah. super busy he but he's,
3: a, he's like, he's bringing a lot of metal to New York City Sure you know? Working with yeah. Live Nation, just crushing it
1: He knows so much about this stuff too He like, does. About metal,
3: and, like, I love picking his brain So I'm excited yeah. to
2: have him in you know?
1: That's great, yeah I see him every once in a while Sometimes at a helmet show in New York I'll just be there How, so, how I, Dude, how, yeah. is
2: he as a, how is he as a front man? And did you, uh, he was a great front man
1: He was, uh, so, yeah. uh, he was very energetic he would pace the stage a lot He would, you know throw the mic out to the crowd a lot he would crowd surf he, would, you know, he was a good front man that's straight sure. edge energy you know? yeah total, <laughs> total straight edge energy <laughs> exactly
0: and you guys went to europe right we did that's um kind of
1: why i joined the band keith was bugging me to come play with them and i was already playing in a couple of bands and i had a day job and i was kind of busy i was like i don't know i mean maybe we'll see and then one day he called me up and he's like, dude, we got, uh, we're got we going to go make a record that's, and we don't have to pay for it, and then we're going to go to Europe and tour on it. <laughs> so you should come play with us. And I said, okay.
0: <laughs> no doubt. <yeah. laughs> All
1: right. That sounds cool. I think I could do that.
0: And so uh, Was that the second album? Mon- was it Monster with Eyes Monster of a Boy? Monster with
1: Eyes of a Boy, yeah.
0: That's the album you recorded and went to Europe on? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yep. It was a lot of fun, actually. Uh, definitely a, <laughs> a huge learning experience. First <laughs> first time out isn't even really like you know most bands they'll get in a van they'll go down the eastern seaboard play a few shows come back to be fully immersed in booking flights and living in a van we didn't have a van at first when we got there because one of them broke down so we just had like a sprinter van and a station wagon and it was us and uh derek uh from from cleanser's other band arkham so it was Two, two bands, uh, an Italian band that was opening for us, the crew guys, and a bunch of friends that we took with us. So it was like, <laughs> a, like twelve, thirteen people. Literally, people were like laying across the floorboards with other people's feet on top of them so we could fit. And the gear and the luggage, and we all overpacked because we'd never been on tour and thought we had to bring every fucking thing we own.
0: Jesus Christ! I love that you guys <laughs> took like just cr- just just Dude, crew, just people I w- from the neighborhood. I was like, yeah,
1: we brought. Oh, he, yeah. he took buddies with us. Like, oh yeah, he was just fucking, we're gonna, he's gonna help us out. Okay, Let's show cool. you a little culture. Get yeah. in the van. We got five merch guys. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> sells these shirts. He sells these shirts. Brought half a This is our Shirley. CD seller. No, but it was a oh, lot of fun. It, it was. It was a motley crew, and we were no, no, no. No. in hindsight, we were very, very American. They were loud and boisterous, and we'd go into like adult shops and giggle and stuff, and they <laughs> we were just like you kids, you know,
2: this, <laughs> is a, this is a place of business. Yeah, exactly. Look at this French floppy wiener look at this.
1: <laughs> you take this dildo seriously. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> I mean, what else are you gonna do
3: though? You're yeah, right? you're so young. You're messing around. You're you're on yeah. tour. Like that's your that you're yeah. in the mindset yeah, that that's like,
1: your job. Dude, that's I great. turned 21 in Germany. Like it doesn't yeah. even matter that you're 21 in Germany. But <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what, was that's where was, where you can uh, be pretty young and stupid. It's man. Still yeah, real right. to me. Damn it. Yeah. yeah, just, yeah just go <laughs> sick. Um.
0: Now, I mean, I'm because I'm looking at the clock too, man. I wish we had all night. This is going fast, uh, um, Dave. Yeah. We might have to do another episode, man, because there's we're, we're not even like past, uh, you know. You just turned 21 in our in our chronology here, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, cleanser. By the way, uh, you know, for for because we have listeners outside of Long Island, believe it or not, cleanser kind of very well known in Long Island. Derek, um, well known local musician from yep. Arkham, cleanser, neglect. Uh, neglect. My favorite band of his, personally, um, you know. So this is this is kind of like Long Island 90s. Long Island hardcore centric conversation right now and you've been in a, a number of other bands rock bands different kind of uh, types of music here yep. but um since we're like more of a metal podcast and we are uh we, we've been kind of gallivanting for almost 45 minutes now it's hard to imagine I just want to be respectful of yeah your we want to be respectful of your time <laughs> oh I got all the time yeah. in the world guys <laughs> yeah hey. yeah just uh, just uh, we, we know it's been meme to uh, being respectful of your time um, one, one other thing, though, that I want to talk about before we get into your work in Helmet is that you play bass on the Grey Sky's Fallen album, Introspective. Yes. Uh, session bass, uh, recorded by Keith Moore. Mm-hmm. And I know that you were kind of brought in as a session guy because they didn't have a bass player at that time.
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: So uh, imagine, imagine taking a session gig. We just need you for a three-song EP, okay? And then, the, oh yeah! By the way, the last song is twenty minutes long. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> How was yep. that, man? How, did, you, did they kind of give you like, like you said, carte blanche to write your own st- basslines to it, or
1: for the most part? But you know, I guess when you're gonna hire someone or ask someone to do something like that, they're putting their faith and their trust in you. Mm-hmm. You've come up with something sensible. So I tried to just play smart. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: it's a balance. It's you not direct. Yeah. And
1: as far as the the twenty five whatever minute long song it's just like anything else you just break it into pieces and you work on each piece at a time
0: yeah I'm, I'm assuming you didn't That's record it in a 20 minute no 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 session. I didn't I sat and I just yeah. kind
1: of worked on a part yeah got got an idea for it and moved on and worked on another part
0: an impressive EP though because we've talked we've had an episode where we interviewed Rick and I've talked about Grey Skies Falling" on the show uh, obviously, three members of Buckshot. Uh, um, you know, I'm just shamelessly plugging all my own shit here. This is like an infomercial at this whole podcast. Yeah, but um, but is this, <laughs> is, this a, is this
3: episode uh, going to be uh, get, guest Will Smith?
0: Yeah, I'm f- the guest featuring right now. Dave. Yeah, I'm the guest. Is this right re- now. Really about yeah. you? But but uh, that's one of my favorite Gray Skies Fallen releases. Actually, um, it's very metal, but in kind of a way uh, like um, amorphite, like the kind of like um, Prague psychedelic, amorphous era when they first started experimenting more, you know what I mean? Okay. Like, it's got a lot of that death doom in there, but it's also got the, the kind of organ-sounding synthesizers, and it gets, like, very uh, atmospheric. Yeah. Yeah, good EP, man.
1: Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was fun to do. I did a lot of work over at Key studio over the years. It was always fun. We had a, a pretty good shorthand. We've known each other for so long, and, mm-hmm. you know, when we got back from the cleanser tour, we both kind of just hung up the cleanser thing, and that's when he decided to uh, get into home recording, and he wanted to start his own band that wasn't metal or hardcore, and got really into Radiohead and got really into gear, and so I really, I saw him build the studio from nothing, and uh, I really liked being around it. It was cool. I would yeah. just stop in and hang out and see how it was going. Help, you know, I helped him out on some of the stuff he wrote. I would engineer for him while he would go in the track, it was cool, man. I had a really good time.
0: Over at Key Studio. Hang out with the extended Moore family. Shout oh, to, yeah. Shout out to all them. Absolutely. They <laughs> would come popping in. Yeah, man. Hello. Yeah, the brothers. Um, so, now, 2010 is when you joined Helmet, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah not, not, really not to skip around too much, but, I mean, that's a pretty big uh, life event for you, I'm sure, right? Fucking
1: got that right.
0: Can you take us through the process of you not being in Helmet, not knowing that Helmet needs a bass player or anything at all? To you being in Helmet,
1: starting where?
0: Well, I, I guess the day before you got the phone call or saw the ad, like, how did you find out that there's a vacancy <clears throat> in Helmet?
1: <clears throat> Through a mutual acquaintance. Okay. His name is Rene Mata. Okay. He was in a uh, a band that one of my old bands used to play with all the time at CB's. Uh, the band I was in was called Earthling. The band he was in was called Reach. Mm-hmm. And uh, Reach went on to become a band called Static Summer and i sat in for a show uh, on base for one of their shows for them because they uh, their bass player couldn't do it it was a big gig at Gra- uh, gramercy theater they wanted to play it so i uh, i helped out i learned all their stuff and uh it kind of paid off because renee is a, a guy who manages producers for a living so he he like he's a schmoozer and he knows everybody and he's a talker and hangs out He's a scene Wouldn't you like say scene producers, guy. like music producers? Yeah, yeah. All right. music producer. Hmm. So he kind of just like, he knows everyone. And really? Over the years, he's he's uh, called me up on a couple occasions to see if I'd be interested in trying out for certain bands. And uh, sure as shit, he did the same when he found out that Helmet was looking for somebody. Hmm. And uh, I said, yeah, please put me in touch. That would be great. And uh, I really didn't think much of it because... You know, the other things he had brought up in the past, like, they didn't, like, flesh out, so I was like, yeah, whatever, we'll see. Right,
3: and also with an act like Helmet, you know, there's probably a bunch of other people throwing their hat in the room, too. Yeah, I figured just
1: they're gonna get somebody they know or something like that.
3: Yeah, it's even Mm. when something happens like that, but if it's word of mouth, it's like, oh, I probably am hearing this 24 hours too late.
1: Yep, exactly. So I was like, cool, man, well, pass my name along and we'll see what happens. Sure as shit. A couple weeks later, I got a text from Paige. She said, uh, "Hey, my friend of Renee's. He said you might be interested in uh, trying out, play with Helmet."
0: And this is uh, Paige Hamilton. Yeah. Paige Hamilton being the like the lead guitarist, kind of like the, the the center figure of Helmet. He
1: is Helmet. Yeah, he's, he started yeah. the band mm-hmm. in
0: 1989. Just for clarification for yep. the listeners, but go ahead. So uh,
1: he's he is Helmet. He's the guy.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, so we
1: we met up at uh, 2A, a bar in the city, just to meet each other, hang out, get to know one another a little bit. Uh, And I went up and auditioned with him and two of his buddies on guitar and drums from Connecticut, the two Tonys, Anthony Realbuto, he was a drummer, and uh, Anthony Truglio, the guitar player.
0: Sounds like you might not have come back from the audition if you didn't didn't do right. (laughs) Yeah, right?
1: Exactly. Be sleeping with the fishes. But uh, yeah, Anthony Realbuto, Anthony Truglio sat in and uh, we played like three or four songs that... I worked on It went well So Paige asked If I could get out To LA To sit in with The band And see how it goes You know With uh, the actual Players of the band hmm. And I begged, and stole I got myself On a flight out to LA I stayed with a friend Out there for a week And uh, did the audition Flew home A couple weeks Maybe a week or two later I got the phone call that I got the gig Awesome Amazing. And uh, That was uh, that. Like you said It was life changing It really was It was definitely the biggest thing i, I would, was going to be doing you know
0: ever did you have at a that point. did you have a quote-unquote day job at that point i did i was actually at work what, what do you mind if i ask what it was
1: well i had two jobs i was a house painter but i also uh washed dishes in yeah. a kitchen uh, my brother ran a kitchen at a restaurant mm-hmm. and once once or twice a week i would relieve their dishwasher and go hang out with my brother in the kitchen right, bullshit right. listen to music yeah hey, why not you know do, cool. the, do all
0: that just asking because did you actually like like quote unquote quit your day job to join helmet no okay no i didn't <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> sounds more like a series of gigs yeah. that you that you re, reorganized <laughs> to be an P- in
1: pretty much yeah, yeah i moved a lot of things around because mm-hmm. i know uh,
0: you, you still do uh various painting gigs and things like that right? yep i yeah. still paint
1: when i'm home it's mm-hmm. like jekyll and hyde life i go yeah. out on tour and i play shows and then i come home and i play and in after birth and
3: painting's a great gig for that too it is that's one of the best musician gigs because you yeah. just set it up you yeah. set up the dates and you i'm go very and lucky yeah, yeah. It pays I, I, okay like you know and you, you set have your own system you yep. don't have a fucking boss if you're doing it right
1: well i have i have a guy i work for but he's one of my best friends mm-hmm. he's also a musician we were in bands together
3: okay so so he totally understands this. oh yeah when yeah, i
1: yeah. when uh, i'm gonna go somewhere we just kind of work the schedule around it you right know? or he just won't book as much work while i'm away or you know, right. There's there's ways around everything. If I worked in an office, I wouldn't be able to do this.
3: Yeah, you can't be on that nine to five like corporate yeah. stuff, which a lot of people do, and I give them a lot of credence. You know, who, a, a who lot of
1: musicians are blue collar workers. They bust their ass. Yeah, just to be able to go play. You yeah, know? it make lots of concessions for it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big theme. You know, we, we bring that up every few episodes, and uh, you know, I commend everyone who does that. Cause yeah. It takes a lot out of you.
1: It's funny too. Like the different muscle groups you use for both. Mm-hmm. Like you go on tour and. This part of your body hurts. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. you come home, and that goes away, and you go back to work, and then these parts of your body hurt. Yeah. So they take turns hurting and healing. It's good balance. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a... Specialized, it's a, specialized aches. It's like the yin and yang of pain. <laughs> Well-rounded soreness. Yes. Specialized aches. That's a <laughs> really good album Speakers. name. Yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. I already
3: aches. copyrighted it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> okay. Step
0: off. Step off. <laughs> so step <laughs> uh, you join Helmet. Um, do you kind of like step right into like a busy rehearsal and touring schedule? Like, what was the, what was the first big move?
1: Uh, the first big move was uh, they just finished a record, and that's why they were looking for a new bass player, because mm-hmm. a tour was going to start up for that. So I, I got hired in March. I think we played our first show together in May. Actually, yeah, it was May, May 19th because it was the day after Paige's birthday. We played my first
0: gig
1: it was uh U-fest. so it was like this giant it wasn't even like a club show it was like this giant fucking show
0: <laughs> well you play a lot of festivals with helmet yeah right yeah, i mean been... i get the impression that you're always doing these european festivals yep and... we've done a bunch yeah yeah, yeah. like uh, for because i mean i guess it's like it's like right in my um radar because i'm always like in you know after birth group texts with you and things like that and i talk to you but uh for listeners who don't know helmet keeps a very busy tour schedule
1: usually yeah yeah
0: I well, mean even, you know for a band that even maybe hasn't had an album out in a year or two or a band that um, uh, you know isn't isn't at the, at the the prominence that they were like in the early 90s or whatever Helmet is out there constantly right
1: Um, I would say on an average year we're gone four to six months out of the year mm-hmm. but it's all sporadic like we'll yeah. do a three week tour we'll do a, a four or five week tour it mm-hmm. also depends on what's going on that year like mm-hmm. uh, if we're supporting a new record or if we're going out on tour with another band mm-hmm. or for like a lot of times like during festival season they'll we'll get booked on a bunch of festivals and then they'll just build some club dates around mm-hmm. it turn right. it into mm-hmm. like you know another more reason to go
0: yeah you gotta you gotta fill the time sure yeah, yeah accordingly but, what's uh what do you say is like the biggest crowd you've ever played for with them
1: uh played a festival in, in Little Rock was it, called? was it Rock on the Range? Something like that. Was <laughs> I think, that, that was in Columbus. I right? believe
0: it is called Rock on the Range. Well, no, that's that's the Columbus one. Don't ask me how I know Yeah, it. we did the Colum- we did Rock
1: on the Range, but there was I don't know. It had to have been some festival crowd. Yeah, of, yeah. Of yeah. tens of thousands of people. Little Rock on the Range. And I know <laughs>
0: you you have kind of a crazy marathon story about going out to Japan for like one show, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the dream right there. That was
1: it Oof. felt like a dream because it was Have very so surreal. We uh, we flew in. Well, I flew in. First of all, let me preface by saying I'm the only guy in Helmet that lives in New York. All the other guys are in L.A.
3: So you had a little extra torture
2: involved in this? Yeah. I'm torture? Torture.
3: Do you, give, do you give them all shit for it? No, no, no. they're no. fucking
2: out there. <laughs>
1: Absolutely not. Of course
2: they're not. D- they're living on the wrong side?
1: It's <laughs> the wrong side. Wrong coast. <laughs> I love them both. I love both coasts. But um, yeah, we, I flew there. Direct flight to Tokyo From New York How long is that? Long enough
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's very long All right Whole well, day
1: yeah. It's all the way across the, the flat totally. At least hours yeah. It's at least hours <laughs> long A minimum of hours <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we got there And checked into a hotel Went and had a production meeting Had dinner Went to karaoke Closed karaoke Went to another That's bar Closed the bar Got a few hours sleep Went to the club the next day Set up Sound check Play a big show, sign autographs and stuff for probably a good hour or so after that. Uh, go to an after party, have a lot of fun at the after party, stay up really late, fly home the next morning. Whoa. That was it. It's like 36 hours in Tokyo, barely a wink of sleep, just huh. a whirlwind of shit. The wow. show was awesome. Everything was great, by the way. It, yeah, it no, really, it just sounds surreal, man. It was, it's was, it was like, and walking around Tokyo was like walking around inside a, a video game. Yeah, or, or like I, I, a pinball game or something. That's what I was
3: thinking. Like, you know, you're flying to the highest excitement. It's focal point of the earth. It's like you're inside so much of a
1: visual stimulus. It hurts your eyes. You're in Wave Racer the entire, <laughs> the entire
3: time. It's <laughs> 24 hours in a box to get to Wave Racer.
1: And it ain't like Europe where everybody speaks English and you can ask for help or directions. They just yeah. they look at you like, oh, oh it's the can't help you. All right, I'll find it. It's cool.
0: <laughs> wow, man. I I would just be trying to look for that vomit remnants. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> damn. You, you played a few shows, uh, you know. You, you 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 went on the road a little bit, like and you know more of like an underground way. But when you join Helmet, what do you learn about like professional touring? Like what's the what's the big difference, and what are some of the things that you catch on to quick?
1: Um, what was interesting is when uh when I joined the band, I, I'd always been involved in music on Long Island. I had a pretty good reputation. I knew a lot of people, and. Not not saying like I was a big fish in a small pond. I wasn't ever a big fish. But I had, like I said, a good reputation. and knew a lot of people. It was comfortable. It was comfortable, yeah. And uh, joining Helmet, which is an internationally renowned band and a legacy band, you're just, who the fuck are you all of a sudden? You're part of something so much bigger. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot more responsibility, I guess. Well, to me, there was. You have to do, you're getting hired to, to do justice to this music, and it has to sound a certain way. There's no room for your ego, and there's no room for embellishment or anything. It's, you have to honor the music and play it the way it's supposed to be played, and it has to sound the way it's supposed to sound. Yes. And so there's a huge responsibility to do that, you know?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's an expectation, you know, as soon as you stick out
2: and you're the new guy most people are not coming into
3: that I'm so.
1: still the new guy yeah. it's been <laughs> al- almost yeah. 10 years and I'm still the new guy yeah.
2: that's the other side to what you were saying before about, uh, about coming into something that you, that you that you didn't start right like right. Uh, never being like the original guy and it, Correct, this yeah. is the, the extreme other side of it where it's like well you have to uphold like this certain level of quality mm-hmm.
1: and uh, make it not suck yeah but uh, I learned to be a lot more patient because in New York no one's patient
4: mm.
1: and when you travel people are just slower everywhere they're not you know they take longer to get to the point things like this mm-hmm. hmm. we have you know we new yorkers we like to hurry up through things yeah. so i've learned to take my time a little bit learn to be more patient learn to be more quiet <laughs> i didn't realize how much i uh not only me but i didn't realize how much new yorkers and long islanders in general speak we, t- we like to talk we like to chit chat you ever notice how long it Gilded. takes to leave anywhere? you say goodbye it takes like 45 minutes to say goodbye
0: yeah yeah,
1: stuff yeah like that well I, I an
0: hour and a half trying to say goodbye every time we do this podcast <laughs> it's a good time we should creative.
1: start now so that we can get out of here on time <laughs> I'm
0: just kidding. Uh, but speaking of which i want to uh, be respectful of your time <laughs> being respectful of your time dave case from uh, afterbirth helmet the respectful hole um i feel like we got to get dave back uh and and we are planning on having um cody uh, and keith on to talk more about afterbirth the upcoming afterbirth album uh Four Dimensional Flesh that will be out uh, on Unique Leader Records this March. That's a a plug-in infomercial. Um, But we we do want to be respectful of your time. So, uh, don't want to breeze over Killer Hill. Killer Hill, yeah. Um, Killer Hill, your most recent release was the uh, About a Goat, two-song, seven-inch from April 2019. Um, I don't want to try to box in or describe. It's got this, like... uh, Real heavy, uh, ale- kind of like electric, uh, like post-hardcore urgency to it. Um, it's real, really cool rock. Uh, not- very
2: interesting punk. Yeah, S- sound like the most souped-up Foo Fighters.
1: There, right?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> more, cool. more, more, riffs in that song than in a Foo Fighters album. Hundred percent. But like <laughs> yeah. you know that
1: early. It's very riffy. Yeah, Dan Dan Beeman is mm-hmm. the guitar player and the, the writer and the singer. I he's loved it. he's the rhythm guitar player for Helmet. Mm-hmm. And, the drummer is his brother Pete, who they've, you know, they've played together their whole lives, so they have a really good chemistry together, mm. and uh, it just seemed organic after long enough. You know, he, I guess I, I have to say that maybe getting back into Afterbirth with, with these guys lit a fire under Dan's ass to do a little bit more of his own thing, too.
0: Yeah, that's right, because 2014, Afterbirth comes back together, right? Yeah. Let's go there for a minute, man. How... How does that happen, man? Because uh, I know, you know, briefly, I know Keith moves to Florida, mm-hmm. uh, eventually comes back to New York way. Yep. Uh, Cody goes down to Texas. Eventually, he finds himself back in New York. Yep. Um, what about Matt? Do you know anything? I mean, you know, with being respectful and everything, but what, like like in the interim, did Matt move anywhere? Is there anything about Matt in that interim? I'm
1: not, not exactly sure. Um, I ran into him when, when Cody and I started talking again. He was telling me that there was this traffic about afterbirth from time to time he would tell me like people still wonder what happened to us and where we went and i hear people like a- asking to try and get a hold of our music and stuff from all over the world too it wasn't just like
0: absolutely old brent with yeah. friends
1: and stuff like that it was like <laughs> people from all over like the guys
0: the guys that went to europe with cleanser want to know where afterbirth is <laughs> yeah
1: funny <laughs> but uh
2: International
1: Yeah So I mean I I knew where Cody was Because we've been friends For our whole lives Mm -hmm. I didn't really know Where Keith was I didn't really know Where Matt was Um, But Matt did pop up again Because you know I guess Cody Got in touch with him And Uh, I was in town And I think I saw him At a a show At uh, Revolution Mm -hmm. It was good to see him again we just Just shot the shit socially And he had Put on a lot of muscle He was working out a lot (laughs) And stuff like that He used to be like a Scorny Jesus looking guy he Matt. was always, like, kind of lanky. Yeah. And then when I saw him again, he was all jacked, scary-looking.
0: Yeah. I was like, whoa. I, I met Matt. Yeah, big. That's, that's my dream. I, I met Matt, like, <laughs> twice Beefcake. in my life. Socially, I met Matt, and, like, he looked like a completely different person both times. So, yeah. yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I guess I met him, like, on either end of, like, him uh, bulking up. Yeah, yeah,
1: okay. Yeah. I remember him giving me his... his uh business card. He, was, he had a personal trainer business card, so he was all right. really into fitness and working out and stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I was on his good side, because he looked intimidating. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you guys get together. Uh, eventually, Keith comes back into the fold, too, and you do the 2014 demo. Was that um, all new songs that were written, or were those songs that had been in limbo for several years?
1: Um, most of it was new shit we wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... There might have been one or two songs that had riffs from the old days, but we just took a rift as a, a jumping point yeah, to create yeah. new
0: music. And uh, the 2014 demo uh, you record, and then, so to get back to what you were saying, uh, you feel like when you started doing that on the side, um, you're, you're still in Helmet, you're touring with Helmet, but now Afterbirth is bubbling up again when you're home, and you feel like that might have kind of like lit a fire un- under, what, what was the guy's name, Bert? Dan. Uh, Dan. Yeah. Why'd I get Bert? Dan... I'm going to call him Bert from now on. No, Beam, right? Beaman. Yeah, Dan Beaman. That's where I got Bert from. We'll get
3: Bert on the podcast sometime. Bert
1: Berman.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Demon. And you feel like that kind of lights a fire under uh, Dan's ass to do uh, do Killer Hill?
1: I like to think it did. I mean, he had all these... He had a bunch of songs written. He played me a lot of his stuff. Um, I just... I maybe I made that up in my head, but I, <laughs> but we spend so much time together, and yeah. I would, you know, on the road and stuff, and I would play them new shit, and I feel like it couldn't have hurt that I was yeah. doing something else, you know, on the side that was more personal to me, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, because it's interesting because uh, Killer Hill, although it definitely is more in that area of like I guess you could say post hardcore rock, whatever you want to call it, it there's a technicality to it that Very is technical. adjacent to metal. You know what I yeah, mean? Like yeah. I could kind of see a. Um, a parallel in a way to you know you you're in a technical death metal band like Afterbirth, but Killer Hill is almost like a technical rock band, you know.
1: Kinda, yeah. It's uh, I like to use the the adjective spastic. Sometimes mm-hmm. it gets kind of spastic because they. Do some kind of out there rhythms and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's,
0: it's a quirky band. And I really encourage the listeners. You can find Killer Hill on Bandcamp. There's three releases, um, including the most recent one is the two song seven inch from this year. Um, about, uh, about a goat. What, what's the, do you want? you want to reveal the mystery? What's what's about a goat?
1: Um, it's sort of about sort of about people like a, a her, like a sheep mentality, a herd following a, a leader who okay. might not really have the answers, but. will convince you that
0: he does timely okay so um uh killer hill do you guys play live with that
1: yeah we played a couple of shows
0: okay so played, like when uh, when helmets not not um not on the road you guys get together mm-hmm.
1: yeah it's uh it's interesting because again i'm the only one here i was gonna say so you're
0: in two bands that are based out of california yeah okay
1: so whenever there's something to do i fly out there i'll stay with those guys mm-hmm. we'll work on stuff um the only recording experience I have with them, I did my tracks here in New York, and anyway, you know, faxed them on over. Well, I mean, it works, man. That's, <laughs> it works
2: wonders with bands.
3: It's amazing. I mean,
1: I, and I'm a pretty low-tech guy. I don't even own a computer. My only computer is my phone. So really? Like, I When I work on music, I just do a little audio, record, like voice memos of shit to remember it, or mm. stuff like that. Uh, everything's by memory. So when they have stuff, they just still send me a file. What? Bluetooth through a little Bose speaker Put it on top of my practice amp Play along, figure out some shit
0: Cool man, yeah, old school
1: Very, very, uh, trying to keep things very simple Right
0: you know? The only Helmet album that you're on is Dead to the World Yes Released in 2015 Yep What part did you play in the writing? Um, Not too much
1: in the writing We did sit sit down and flesh things out together mm-hmm. It's mainly more about Paige and uh, drummer Kyle figuring out what the beats are going to be to the riffs
0: so Paige is like very like he's he's the main guy yeah. he writes everything and it's vision.
1: and it's an interesting interesting way that we worked because it's kind of the total opposite of what I'm used to with like you've seen you've recorded with us uh, we go in very well rehearsed mm-hmm. and we know exactly what we're going to play and what we're going to do and how it's supposed to sound and yeah, after, we don't do any arranging in the studio. We, yeah, we get it down like the back of our hands and
0: try and bang it out like that. Afterbirth does. Afterbirth yeah. does. Yeah. yeah,
1: with Helmet, there's, there's a lot more like uh, leeway going in. We'll, we'll track a song and we'll decide it's too fast or too slow. We'll re-record it at a different tempo, or you might want to take this part out or shorten this, or do it. So we're doing a lot more uh, development. It's like studio. the
3: pre-production thing. Yeah, yeah. We
1: we spend more time in the studio messing around with it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is throws me because I'm so used to being so prepared, and then I go there and I feel unprepared. But it's not my like I dude something wrong. Yeah. So in my head I'm like, shit, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, right,
3: but if you had done less work, then yeah. you'd probably be in
0: a better situation.
1: <laughs> I guess. <laughs> not. Imagine that, man. That's how it is sometimes. <laughs> I mean,
0: um, and around the same time, didn't you record the Time Traveler's Dilemma? The music for that around the same time. 2014 or 15? I think we must have. Yeah. Well, because the 2014 demo was due, so it must have been 2015 was the Time Traveler's Dilemma. Yep. I know that there was a falling out where Matt um, parts ways with Afterbirth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you guys performed a few local shows as a three-piece we for did. a while. Um, and, uh, you know, as we all know, Matt uh, unexpectedly and, and very suddenly passes away. Um, and... The Time Traveler's Dilemma, if people don't realize, was recorded, uh, mixed as an instrumental album. It was, yeah. Uh, for a long time before I added the vocals and right. the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and that was recorded with Joe Senkata at Full Force Studios here on Long Island. That's it was right. recorded internal bleeding, suffocation, cognitive, I, love, I mean, a whole lot of bands. He's He's got a, a, his own thing going for him. Yeah, man. Um, and just, you know... I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to just like generalize and sum up the whole Afterbirth thing, but just for, um, for that album, for the Time Traveler's Dilemma, do you remember what kind of gear you were using on that? Just for people who are interested. Uh,
1: I used, I actually went through, well, I went through my pedal board with my bass. I use a mm-hmm. uh, Music Man Stingray. Uh, that's the bass I use, and I have a bunch of little stomp boxes that I play with. And I went into uh, a plug-in. I can't remember what it is because I don't really know software. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it was it was a software plug-in, and then I went back and I did feedback over dubs through a little orange combo amp for uh, you know. Mm-hmm. If you can't get feedback in a control room with mm-hmm. studio monitor.
0: Yeah, it's true. So. And that's it. Uh, that was pretty much it. Yeah. And then how has that changed in comparison to this newer, uh, this the second Afterbirth album that we're getting ready to put out? What what did you use on that? Because I honestly I don't know any of this stuff. I'm a singer. I don't pay attention.
1: Yeah. Oh, hey. Someone's got a teacher. Yeah,
0: this is this, <laughs> this is for the listeners that will play bass out there.
1: I actually use my my own rig. It's a Trace Elliott head from back in the day. It's an old '90s bass amp that I love, swear by, uh, and an SWR 610 cabinet that I bought probably in 1996 or 97. Still kicking. Right. Never. Knock on wood. Haven't reconed it or anything. It's just a powerhouse of a cabinet. So I used my, my own rig, and we mic'd it up, and also went direct.
3: Still with the same, uh, well, variations, but you're still running through a pedal board, all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff there. Yep. That's the one thing, like, um, listening to <laughs> Time Traveler's Dilemma, you don't hear a lot of, especially metal uh, bassists, actively doing things with pedals. They uh, kind of just sit back. Yeah, and, I, like, I like
1: to be colorful when I can.
3: Oh, it adds so much. Uh, I think it's great. I, Thank I think, you. I think it's fantastic. And um, it's hard bas- basis. like pay attention to that album because I think it's a great example of what you can do with an atmosphere on the low end. Yeah. Like I hear chorus popping in there, which you don't really hear that much. Like,
1: There's certain passages I like to use it for, like yeah. uh, upper register things, chorus sounds really good on. Mm-hmm. Harmonics, it sounds really good on. Um, Will and I figured out something really cool one of my pedals where I can get it to have a, a vocal quality and it almost sounds like
0: um another singer like a backup uh, singer yeah, yeah. We, we arranged a quote-unquote backup vocal part with it yeah said.
1: actually awesome. believe it or not i was playing roughs for uh kyle and dan from helmet when we were i was out in la for something and i played them one of the songs that we're talking about that i that will and i worked that out on and when the, i didn't say anything and when the part came by and i think it was kyle he was like Who's doing that other vocal thing?
0: I was just like yes, got dog, him. Hell yeah, got you. I was like actually. Yeah, actually helmet. I was like, it's like I'm
1: doing that. He's like, oh, you, you're singing. I'm like, nope.
0: <laughs> singing with your bass, man. Mouths closed, dog.
1: <laughs> Pretty much. But yeah, I was very, I was very <laughs> proud of us when, uh, when they realized that it wasn't vocals and they thought it was. I thought it was really cool. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it, it's it's awesome, really, uh, on top of, like, what you're doing with your fingers and how you handle bass, like, what you're doing with your feet and choosing to put on and off. It's
1: like a uh, tap dance sometimes.
3: Yeah, it sounds like it, but it's
1: awesome. But it's, it's it's fun. It keeps me on my toes. Like, not like songs are already difficult to play. Yeah. I'm like, fucking, may as well get my feet involved here. <laughs> <laughs> but do, yeah, I like... Do as much work as the
3: drummer, It's right? great. So bassist, pay attention. You can... Use a little more flourish every now yeah, and then. Just
1: a couple of toys, nothing crazy. Yeah. Just a couple of little things and use them wisely and sparingly. Mm-hmm. They can sort of become part of your your musical personality, you know? There you go. They oh. can also inspire different playing too. If you have a different tone or a different sound. Mm-hmm. Like I just bought a, a, a delay pedal and I'm having a lot of fun with that. I never really use one too much for bass, but maybe in the future I will. There's kind of this like, um,
3: I guess audio engineering like taboo behind using bass and reverbs and delays like a lot of people don't want to touch those things because it resonates and we might get rubbing and stuff like that sure. but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be
1: approached it also depends on the music you're playing yes absolutely if you're someone like Thundercat or Stanley Clark or something you can use some reverb because mm-hmm. it's like solo bass yeah you know virtuos- virtuosity virtuosity very true uh, yeah reverb can definitely muddy things up if you're just playing like a lot of low end foundation yeah. and but, stuff like that I mean, you know, it just might, don't need
3: it like, stay away from room and like hall reverbs but like plate reverbs mm-hmm. are really nice for bass but that's very technical
1: when I you went know, to audio like, school I remember our, our instructor Bill Spurl saying that uh, reverb is like caulking like if you're doing mm-hmm. like housework or something and you're mm-hmm. caulking you know woodwork uh, or something like that he said if you don't use enough of it the hole's not going to be filled and it's it's gonna be abrasive and you're still gonna, uh, there's gonna be something missing. If you use too much of it, it's gonna smush all over the place and ruin the look of everything. And the reverb's kind of the same way. If you use too much, it sounds like shit. Right. If you don't use enough, it sounds like shit. <laughs> wow.
2: Just the metal. It's like
1: the Goldilocks effect. What a, you gotta, what a good team be. It's gotta be just right, just the right amount. I remember also Keith would always ask Bill because we used to do guinea pig sessions at, at this uh, school I went to. And uh, Keith would always be like, "Can we put lots of reverb on the drums? <laughs> Can we do that?" Like he was always asking for the Mazzy Star reverb. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Bill, no, no, we can't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, there you go. We'll mess around with your sound. Yeah, have fun with it. Yeah. It's fu- It's supposed to be fun. It's music. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So, Dave, um, like I said, you know, we—I feel like we could almost do like a two-parter with you or something like that because we—I feel like we barely cracked the surface on your time and your experience in Helmet. Uh, We do appreciate you talking about um, Afterbirth and the old 90s days of Afterbirth, Um, speaking about Matt, uh, rest in peace to Matt Duncan, original singer of Afterbirth, and your project uh, Killer Hill, your band Killer Hill. Maybe now we could transition into you talking about uh, other music that you're not involved in, man. Maybe maybe you could recommend us something. Sure. Um, Maybe you could start off with your new recommendation for the listeners.
1: Okay. Well, uh, I do listen to a fair amount of other music aside from metal, mainly more mellow shit. Uh, as far as uh, something new to listen to, I've been listening to a lot of Thundercat lately. Mm. He's a, for anybody who doesn't know, he's a bass virtuoso, singer, songwriter, producer. And uh, <clears throat> it kind of harkens back to when I was a kid wanting to hear like crazy bass players. Mm-hmm. And you just don't hear them these days.
3: No, Thundercat is a wild exception. Oh, to, absolutely. To yeah. especially the world he's in of of like production music. Uh, you know, he's on he was on brain feeder for a while. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if he's still there, but working with Fly Flylow. Fly, yep. One of the greatest <laughs> like I guess trip hop producers. Yeah, yeah that that that's
1: really cool, man. Yeah.
3: but yeah, his his playing is
1: phenomenal. Yeah, man. And uh what really cemented it for me was uh, a song called Show You the Way off of the new record Drunk and uh, it's a bona fide Yacht Rock song. And in no ironic way do I love that stuff. I really do love those old mellow 70s tunes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote a bona fide Yacht Rock song. And he got Michael McDonald to sing a verse. And he got Kenny Loggins to sing a verse. Wow. And we were talking it's an about amazing McDonald. track. An amazing, amazing track. Yeah, we were talking about Michael McDonald earlier. And, uh... It's just, like I said, I don't like it in any ironic sense. Mm-hmm. It really is music I've always admired. And so uh, the fact that he got those two two guys on a, on a song with him.
3: He's one of those few artists that is very for the um, kind of casual listener, but also very much for the player. Yes. You know, yeah. it's not like the Rush Thing where it's like, oh, everyone who likes Rush has, has some attachment to an instrument. This guy is on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah,
1: and he yeah. works at Hip hop guys and is Kendrick Lamar? I think he's done work with serious like heavy hitters, man. Really yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's um, that's about the newest thing I've been listening to.
0: I'm I'm painfully undereducated uh, with this this artist, man. You've definitely forwarded me a few links and uh, played me a few songs over the over the years, man, but. Yeah. I got I got to dive deeper man, you know. Yeah.
1: If you're a bass nerd like me, plenty to, to dive into listening to him. He's just so goddamn good. Just hold your face! Who is this then? We're gonna be listening
2: to. You asked the right question. Yeah, there we go. So from my new recommendation uh, this week, uh, this band just kind of infected me a little bit. Uh, band called Chatpile of Oklahoma City. Chatpile. Um, so uh, this uh, this band I think just formed in 2019. They came out with two EPs. This is the first of those two EPs uh, released in May, self-release calls uh, called This Dungeon Earth. I kind of just like. I'll just describe this as like gross lethargic sludgy rock um, also loose brooding audible codeine. Uh, <laughs> I just I get a very like opiate floating kind of mess going on over here. Um, just it sounds like Oklahoma to me as well. I like uh, the roominess but,
1: of the drums
0: it's really cool yeah
2: yeah uh, so this uh, drum is playing a V drum kit which so and I guess they just pumped it up with a bunch of verbs the, the, shirt, the guitar
0: sound si- I mean everything is everything just, about sounds nasty it just sounds punishing it's and so rude, like thick uh, I don't. it's all those words that we use to describe death metal but yep. in a different light
1: it's not really it's not really death metal this though, is so punishing so I, exactly is brutal so yeah. I,
2: when I found this band I was like oh they must have been around for a few years or at least be a little bit older but it's just kids from from Oklahoma like teens early 20s uh, wow we're listening to a song called Rainbow Meat right now it's Lyrically poetic.
1: I wonder if they're as clueless to what they're doing now as Afterbirth was when we were
0: kids. (laughs) I mean, we could hope so because it shows good results. Yeah, we we bring up very often. uh, I think um, my buddy Dan Gargiulo uh, said it to me. uh, You know, the first time someone brought it up to me is that we listen, we revere these death metal albums and demos and EPs, uh, hardcore too, not just death metal, all all sorts of types of music, Mm -hmm. but a lot of which were recorded when people were 18, 19, 20 years old. Yeah. And, and yes. we're here, you know, I'm 37, and I still listen to that Afterbirth demo, you know? It's it's amazing. So j- just like this band, what is it, Chat Pile? Chat Pile. Yeah, yeah, who knows? I mean, these guys might just be living in their own... Uh, kind of like you know their own bubble of of youth, you yeah, know, sure. like we all were at a certain age, and not even yeah. realize what they're playing with you. There's yeah. a
2: there's a video on YouTube. They played their first show in July.
0: Oh wow! Of this Thank past year, and, fresh. And it this sounds good. There's hot off the press wow. right here.
2: Uh, I There's something about the uh, this like loose aggressiveness of um, of the singer too. Uh, I was showing it around to a couple people, and somebody brought to my attention uh, "Me Without You," the the record A to B Life, and how like storytelling and angsty and aggressive it was. Mm-hmm. And I think this ha- this brings a certain like mud to to that. Um, but That's there's a, there's a raw creativity here that I can't wait to see like where that goes. You
0: know what this almost sounds like when we had um, Hank Steamer on. We talked briefly about how grunge. Is coming back, and I said I can't yep. wait until the OSDM movement meets the grunge movement. This is almost where we're at with this because it has a lot of those sonic elements of like metal of death, yeah, of like grungy brutal death metal. But the I, the singer, he's like he's got a he's singing in a way. Yeah, is and there anything
1: that can be classified as like death grunge that's out there?
0: This uh, these five, kids, <laughs> well, yeah. But
1: I mean, is there like a is there a genre?
0: I well, that was my prediction is that we're slowly starting to see. Uh, Well, like the old school death metal is at a a height right now. It's at a premium. You know what I mean? Um, And the grunge thing is coming back in its own way too, with you know younger artists. So I feel like this is almost that intersection I was looking for.
2: It's really cool. Yeah, Yeah, it's dark. It's dark, darker than anything I could. uh, The the vocals
0: and the the guitar sound right off the bat. Like within a few seconds of the first song, I said this is more original than a lot of the stuff I've heard the last you know however long. There's
2: nothing I can really, truly, kind of put my finger on as like that they're doing a tribute of this or trying to sound like this. It's uh, it seems to like a natural thing out of these kids right now. So I'm I'm kind of excited to see where it goes. It reminds
1: and, me a little bit of like Dead Guy, Kiss Goodbye, that kind mm, of stuff. Mm.
0: Yeah, just Dead Guy, ugly,
1: abrasive, mm. some guy like just yelling at you. You know, Dead
0: guy, Rorschach, Botch, yeah, yeah, like Botch, shades, Botch. shades of those bands. Exactly. But this is just a, this is grimy. Yeah, man. There's a, I like this. It's there's a
2: a use of like an emo influence in here that is so far removed from where that influence mm-hmm. might have like come mm. from. Like a little bit in the instrumentation when they kind of throw those little clean
0: embellishments sure. in there. These guys and are then, definitely taking a lot of different influences and owning them. You know what I mean? In their mm-hmm. own way. This is cool shit. man. Yeah. i am got to check this out. Yeah, and what is it? This is a, an EP of theirs? Yeah, it's the first
2: EP called uh, This Dungeon Earth.
0: Okay, and these and are on Bandcamp, right? On Bandcamp, yep. So this is Chat Pile from Oklahoma City. That's right. I'm excited. This is interesting stuff.
1: I am writing this down.
2: Uh,
3: this is a band called Odie Profanum Vulgus mm. with their album Bug came out December 22nd of this year just catching that the old fresh, year you know? fresh. so this is very fresh self-released on Bandcamp um independent release like I said this band's been around since 2004 never heard of them before so excellent find uh, I'm gonna congratulate myself um <laughs> the name Odie profanum vulgus means I hate the common masses in Latin. Gotta look up those weird names, see what's <laughs> going on. The prior release to this was published in 2009. That was an EP. So this band's been in some kind of hiatus or whatever for a while. Uh, this is what I would call fence-sitting black metal and death metal as opposed to black and death uh, because they're doing overtly both very black, black metal and death metal things and without really combining them I, I don't know it doesn't seem contrived. It just seems like someone's just riffing off their influences. Mm-hmm. And throughout this whole release there's some really cool prog parts too, but not overwhelming. so it's a, it's an interesting hodgepodge of an album, but very concise. Mm. Sounds like one guy's brain. I don't know which member, but I feel like the guitar player or the drummer... Is,
1: like someone's a ringleader for it? Yeah, and they're really just they're
3: uh, putting together a very solid, I'm not going to say groundbreaking in any means, but this is like a really good heavy album. Black metal, death metal, kind of wouldn't put them in one, but they're overtly doing both. Right.
2: Like your fence-sitting analogy. Mm-hmm. Analogy.
3: Yeah, this yeah show- like
0: right now, this is very black metal, a little more atmospheric, but they just mm-hmm. kind of switched gears. Yeah, a lot of yeah. gear switching.
3: Also, uh, what you we were saying before about reverb, actually. Not a, a lot of reverb used in this, except for the vocals. And not that cavernous thing that has become very popular right. recently. Mm-hmm. Um, still sounds like it's in a room drier than I've heard for a lot of bands like this. A lot of bands are using a lot of reverb. This is a, l- a bit drier. So that was nice to hear in the mix.
1: I like a dry mix. Yeah. Especially if it's fast.
3: It helps a lot. Yeah, so there we go. We got Odie Profanum Vulgus. It's cool. This is their album, Bug.
4: Diesel.
0: Okay, my new pick uh, from 2019, Father Be Fouled, uh, a band from Atlanta, Georgia, Hotlanta, uh, on Dark Descent Records, put out this Holy Rotten Blood EP this year. Uh, This is a band that has Justin Stubbs. Uh, You might know that guy's name from Incaufination.com. Uh, A little band called Unborn Salivate with our friend Polo Paguntalan of our Ping uh, episodes. Ping fame. Yeah, uh, and Justin's in a whole bunch of other bands. I'm not going to list his bands. You could look up Encyclopedia Metallum on Justin Stubbs. He's in a lot of uh, kind of um, very dark metal of death type of death metal bands and things like that. Uh, Currently members of a band called Elysian in his band. And his drummer, Amos Rifkin, currently the live drummer of Deceased, legendary death metal band. Wow. Um, no slouches, these guys. Uh, they put out this EP earlier this year after four full lengths. They've been around, um, I think, almost 10 years, if not more. Probably probably more like 12 years now. 2008, I believe, these guys started. Uh, four full lengths, various splits and EPs. And uh, this year, they decided to just clobber us over the head with this one, man. Uh, Holy Rotten Blood. I, I love think that it's, name, man. Yeah, I don't know if there's a format. I believe it's just digital on uh, Dark Descent. I could be mistaken on that. With the research, but um, you know, this is a band around 2008, 9, 10. We started to see this huge wave of, I like, I, I call it kind of like the pre OSDM movement, it was like a big, in like kind of underground incantation worship pocket of the scene. And you saw all these bands popping up like that. Um, and and uh, Father Be Fowled was one that caught my interest. Um, they all used to play Martyrdom Fest here in New York City. Uh, And and probably still do, man, those type of bands. But it's kind of like the incantation worship scene. Father Be Fouled uh, popped on my radar around then, and I've kept my eye on them. Really good band. But um, I I will admit I haven't heard their last few releases. I haven't been up to date on them. And i got to change that because this EP came up in the old algorithm when I was doing some research for some newer albums, and I had to check it out. I said, holy shit, Father Be Fouled, i got to put these guys on. And it did not disappoint one bit. This is a, it's a pretty short, I think it's about 25 minutes, give or take a minute, it's an EP. But this packs a lot of punch. And it hit me, um, hit me in a very special way. Uh, it's got some of those incantation vibes like I talked about. It's kind of like a jump off sound for bands like this of this variety. These guys take it. Uh, and they've they've really refined it over all these years that they've been together and all these releases and shows they've played and they've taken this to the next level. Uh, I always I, I thought about our Sub-Jean Marine show where I talked mm-hmm. about the bands that like treated Dying Fetus like a religion, right? And mm-hmm. how they weren't just copycat bands. I, I know where you're going with that. We
3: should definitely do that with Incantation. Yeah, yeah this is one of that. those
0: bands, man. They they idea. made it their own. Uh, religion. They took it as a tool and expressed themselves through it. They're not just a carbon copy band. Another thing that I got vibes of, and I just listened to uh, one of my all-time favorite death metal albums, Hallmark album that has a lot of respect out there with the real metalheads, DramaLek from Finland's Psychostasia full-length album. Just listened to it over the weekend before I heard this. This album by Father, Father Be Foul, this EP, brings to mind a Dramalik, old-school Adromalec to me. And that is... Those are, are heavy words. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to say that about everything that comes through here. <clears throat> I'm not going to compare every Metal of Death record to Adromalek. Adromalek is a very special band to me, but uh, I'll give Father Be Foul credit where credit's due. I was listening to this, and it's kind of like they take shades of incantation and older Adromalek and drag it further uh, into the dungeon. But they also know how to arrange it in very memorable, interesting ways in terms of how they arrange the guitar parts, play off of one another, the songwriting, the kind of, um, the way they play with the momentum of the songs from these kind of fast, traditional death metal parts to the more doomier parts. This is, uh, and again, at 25 minutes for an EP, it's just perfect, man. If anyone, if any of my Adromalic fans out there uh, feel me, there was the 7 EP by Adromalic where they had. You brought in, I think,
3: Beef first episode of heavy hole
0: yes yes I mean, so you know how special that is to me and I talked on that that episode about how special it is to me the, it's the, a great release the live tracks at the end there's bonus live tracks at the end of that seven EP this reminds me of those in a way because this release by father be fouled has that rawness I don't know if it was recorded live or not but it has that urgency that rawness uh, and it, it almost gives us that that same quality that we got from from those Adromalex songs in my opinion but kind of remixed and restructured, man. Um, so I don't wanna uh, don't wanna box Father Be Fouled in as being kind of like a clone band or a copy band or anything like that. These guys set the bar pretty high for any bands that come out with an incantation-like atmosphere. I'll say that, okay? So that's Father Be Fouled from Hotland of Georgia. Check out their Anointed in Darkness Live in Europe uh, cassette coming out next year as well.
1: Go with uh, we're gonna go with Art Tatum, mm. and uh, let's listen to a track called Humoresque. It's from a, a, a collection called Piano Starts Here. Wow, and I believe it was released in 1933. All right, let's let's hear up Art Tatum. This is live, by the way, too. This is 1953. 1953.
3: Spotify lied to me. Spotify lies to you all the time. And I say you, as in you right here, and then everyone else who's listening to this. Constantly <laughs> even on Spotify. Allegedly. Oh, they their dates are fucked. But anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, take us off Spotify, we don't want you, you lie. <laughs> no, Spotify's great, just listen Thanks to Thanks for us. having us, Spotify. Allegedly.
1: <laughs> so this is just one guy and a piano, and that's it.
3: I'm gonna lose my mind right now. <laughs>
1: This this kind of stuff makes me feel like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> feel As swell. well, it should. Yeah. Nobody plays like this. He's usually drunk too when he played.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Tom is replaying his entire childhood right now, <laughs> thinking of all the terrible decisions he's made. Why don't my hands work better? He's saying.
3: You know what's really interesting about this playing. Is that it is both classical and jazz styles? Yeah, overlapping like it. It is truly like in the classical realm, and then there's rag
1: happening, mm-hmm. like straight yeah. up yep.
2: rag. It's equally in a saloon
0: and in uh, a and, hall and in a jazz yeah.
1: hall. And it, it.
0: So I don't think you said uh, who it is, though. Art Tatum. And so, so who is
1: this? He's a piano player from. Uh, the 20s and 30s, and he—he uh, he also, believe it or not, he could barely see. He had vision problems his whole life, and uh, didn't live very healthily. So it just got worse and worse. Didn't stop him from playing like this, though.
3: I know, of but he always—he
1: um, always sounded like more than one player. He always sounded like two or three people playing at the same time.
2: classic uh, recommendation I figure it would be the last one of the year the one I've been waiting for when Tom uh, asked me to be on this podcast this is the moment I was waiting for Mm. and I'm going to disappoint right now because I don't have many notes (laughs) I just want to listen to the songs Uh, I have let it flow I have Rats uh, debut LP 1984's Mm -hmm. Out of the Cellar Mm -hmm. Uh, released on Atlantic Records because they had no choice Um, closing the book we don't need this just talk man
1: can you cue up the album cover for Out of the Cellar? <clears throat> it's right there, oh, yeah. featuring Tawny. Oh yeah, there she is, Tawny of a, a Miss Miss to you, <laughs>
2: White Snake Lady Fam, Ms. Cottain. If you're nasty, oh, thank you. Um, yeah, Rat is uh, is when, when we when we talk about like you're going to build your um, your nutritional pyramid of, of '80s uh, hair metal bands, rock bands, whatever. Rat for me is always, is at the top. Uh, it is so, uh, riffs are so goddamn infectious. Yeah, they're, the, and they're
1: not as easy as they sound.
2: They are deceptively Difficult ha- fucking hard. riffs. I can yeah. not play a rat, rat. I can't play one single rat, rat.
3: I remember trying to learn round and round, and I was like, my fingers. Just don't do that. Hey, don't do this. No, no, no. <laughs> Exercise. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'd rather run. Which, some of the riffs, if, if, you're, just, if you're doing rat and passing at a bar, yep. not paying attention, you're going to miss a lot. Yeah, it's,
2: it's yeah, it's unassumingly uh, virtuosic. Um, it really is. It, say. Uh, I and that's where I would draw a comparison to uh, to one of um, yeah maybe like one facet of what makes this band so cool is is some of the best parts of Van Halen I think are in this band and the same sort of virtuous vir, uh, sneaky virtuosity maybe that. a little more flashy with Van Halen, but in the, the riffs themselves are prevalent in this. Um, I, I I'd say this band is like a, a the the mix of of like Van Halen. Uh, Arrowsmith and Judas Priest, like in in, in the peaks, um, that makes sense. So bluesy, the the raspiness of Stephen Pierce's mm-hmm. like, voice, his his just like blue collar driving down the road style of uh, of vocals always kind of really got me.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. The, I think the true measure of bands like this is if this part right here, the guitar solo, yeah, like lead guitar bridge, guitar solo part, makes you feel cool. <laughs> like like if you could listen to that and feel like you could just hop in a car you know like uh, cruise the highway It's a valid measurement. I flick, never thought of yeah, it like that, but that's flick a butt, you know, to the left <laughs> and then walk, you know, walk right up to the girl behind the counter at the gas station like you know like an old movie or something, you know what Can I mean? Can you like, please
1: uh, tell me what it's like to feel cool? <laughs> I
0: like I just like voyeuristically know what it's like to be cool it's by, by, by watching listening watching to other Rat <laughs> <laughs> Alone in my
2: room Here, Here's how cool rat is And cause I've done I've done this you, you, You're in a bad mood You put the song Wanted Mad on Yeah You're fucking Driving your car Yeah Your truck yeah. Whatever I'm going down the road In my Jeep Cherokee You know I'm feeling Pretty angry At the world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That song starts Smoking a cigarette It's sick go to flick it outside right when that solo hits hits the window cigarette bounces inside cool. it doesn't matter I'm cool as shit just like you said you meant to do solo. that you meant to do that that's right I'm flying I see the lights turning yellow oh boy right and when I'm like got, when you got rat what do you do well I stopped because I was I was nervous <laughs> right <laughs> still I'm standing at yeah. that stoplight like cool as yeah. shit because yeah. anybody who's pulling up next to me knows that they're in trouble right now when you're in trouble starts flying that's right so, yeah it's it, yeah uh Watch The Wrestler. It's The Wrestler. Yeah. It's the, it's the whole thing, man. Um, the atmosphere of Rat, this record, front to back, one of the absolute classics. If you don't know it, I don't know.
0: You know, again, know I, I, I still feel like we have enough material even after recommending this <laughs> and Winger several weeks ago. Uh, this is another one of those things where we kind of try to redeem some of that 80s party metal. Um, you know, it, it wasn't all just, you know, <laughs> misogynist Dumb, you know, dumb, dumb guy riffs like, like you no. said, man. There's, there's some cool shit going on with these riffs. You know yeah. what I mean? They're, they, they weren't pay
3: attention to detail,
0: man. Of course, it, it's, it's sleazy. They're no quiet riot lyrically, but they're sleazy. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. we'll get into that another. Well, it's yeah. very intentional, though. That's yeah. what matters. Yeah, yeah you know? it's, yeah. It is a Hollywood band. You know,
2: like through and through. But it's the, it's the more grit. You know,
0: it's less of mm-hmm. the glam, more grit. If it, this was like 1984, year did this come out? Eighty four. Yeah, okay, I was I was gonna say right. eighty five, so I was around right on point. If it was nineteen eighty five yeah. and I was in Hollywood and allegedly did cocaine and was looking for some girls, allegedly, I would definitely be rocking this album.
2: I, I would have this album on with my walkman, walking down the street, oh, shaking like like band flyers like on venues, just the yeah. like ones I don't like, just ripping them down. Just yeah. fucking ripping yeah. them down, <laughs> throwing them in the garbage. You would
0: feel so fucking cool. It's the best dude. Let's just go listen to Rat. <laughs> and headphones and rip shit off for Flyers downtown <laughs> so, Huntington so, so. let's do it <laughs> alright we're gonna rat bar <laughs> roll
1: cock rock our way down the fucking yeah. down Main Street
2: You have for your classic record.
3: Thank you very much for asking. Um, I'm going very predictable. Last last time we recorded, I did the uh, polluted inheritance, which was something that no one could see coming. So I thought I would uh, go a little more close to home. I got Sargogfigol. That's how you pronounce it. Okay. Well, I'm sure you're very familiar with this.
0: Very interesting because I was just listening to Sepultura's um, first two. EPs or albums, whatever you want to call them, the uh, the uh, Morbid Visions, Bestial Devastation yes, uh, tape that I have over the weekend. There's the uh, crossover members. Now, yes, including, yeah, Including yeah. uh, w- Wagner Antichrist. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah, so th- this is sarc-
0: Sarcophagos. I think he was the only one.
3: No, there was another guy who was playing with them for a while, I forget. I was doing some cross-referencing on Wikipedia and stuff. Okay.
0: And there was a guitar
3: player who played with Sarcophago for a while who was in Sepultura, but there was there was actually some drama that happened between those two bands. I'm not going to get into that. It's not important. <laughs> I just want to talk about this really cool album. Um, I-N-R-I, which is uh, what was written on top of Jesus Christ uh, on the scroll. Pontius Pilate had that written over Jesus' head as he was crucified. It means uh, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Very anti-Christian band, sarcophagus They're from... Uh, Belo Horizonte from Minas Gerais, which is a state in Brazil. There is no coast there, so they are very, very far away from water. These are mountain people. Minas Gerais is a very mountainous area. Uh, Formed in 1985, founding member of Sepultura, Wagner Antichrist, which we just mentioned. Significance of this album in black metal is if you're paying attention to what's, what's happening behind us talking right now. This does not sound like it was from 1987. This sounds like something that you can relate to the second wave of black metal made prominent in Norway. This was revered when Dark Throne, Mayhem, Burzum, when all those bands were, were starting their thing up. Emperor, they were listening to this. This was
2: the big
0: band for them. I think Uranimus, um was big on these guys and had uh, at least correspondence with them and all that. He did, and I, I believe there's a quote. I'm going to
3: paraphrase, saying where he he believed that all Norwegian black metal imagery should be based on this band. Yeah, this was the Bible band for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm bringing this. Uh, I'm bringing this in. A, a, a lot of our listeners know about this album. People who don't know about it, that's okay. What's interesting about this is that they have incorporated elements that are very prominent in black metal today. The blast beats all the way through. Um, The thrashy elements, the almost creator sound that's stripped down that we know. But also, pitch shifter vocals. Mm -hmm. I think this is the earliest record I could find in a brief... What year is this record? 87. Wow. Yeah, so this is like the the vocal styles being used on things a few years later,
1: 10 years later. Right. Right. Carcass used a lot of pitch shifting early on in their vocals, too.
3: Yeah, exactly. So you have a lot of influences here and they're not perfected but this is definitely a benchmark record we haven't talked about it yet so i figure it'd be good to uh let's let some of the people know
0: yeah this is always held up as um like you were saying like one of like first wave black metal so to speak like everyone when everyone talks about black metal they think about mayhem like you said marduk gorgoroth those type of bands from the 90s from that second wave um and then when you talk about first wave people mention Celtic Frost, Bathory, Sodom, Destruction, those like early records by those uh, German thrash bands. Um, but this is such an important band, man, and it was uh you know like you said revered by a lot of those older Norwegian bands and by Euronymous, man. Funny because I mentioned to you that I bought Mysteries Dom Satanis on vinyl right. at our friend Timmy's uh, Record Reserve record store over the weekend, man. So this is interesting. And I get, you know, I got into this Later on in life, Mm -hmm. I got into Celtic Frost, Venom. Well, Venom I got into in high school, but Bathory later on in life because I was always a grindcore death metal guy and the black metal I was exposed to was more like secondary to me, man. Even though I love a lot of black metal albums, I've always been more into the death metal side of things. So, you know, like I said, I got into this later in life realizing what a profound influence it was on those second generation black metal bands after i did my research man it's really it's 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 interesting man because you said too the uranus said that the imagery and fashion should be based off of this and you look right on the cover those guys look like all those pictures that you see of uh the black and white old pictures of dead and uranus all the bullet belts know, yeah 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 you know, you know. S- skinny dudes with with the the, the kind of corpse paint and the bullet belts and yeah man Unlike you suckers, I brought a physical edition. Pass this tape around. Look at how weathered this tape is. God damn it. Lost your case there, bud? I brought in Amorphous Privilege of Evil. That is the sound of a cassette tape. That case is... I never owned the case. That was a hand-me-down from Adam. And it still plays to this day perfectly. God damn it. I love
1: (laughs) just holding a cassette tape. Amorphous
0: (laughs) Privilege of Evil. Oh, look, the, the entire track listing. The band The band logo is real big on one uh-huh. side. The track listing of each song on the, on the other side. How
2: can I play it on my phone? You you can't.
0: <laughs> that's, the, that's the whole point. Amorphous Privilege of Evil EP. Um, you should know this, guys. Uh, amorphous Classic Finnish Metal Band. Uh, more of the death metal persuasion for their first EP and album. Second album was definitely death metal, although with those kind of like... Psychedelic and doom elements uh, But this is where Amorphous really hit it for me Was this uh, first EP and album Even though this EP Mysteriously uh, was released After the first album uh, I'll get into that But um, uh, In 1990 You had uh, the band's Violent Solution And Abhorrence from Finland uh, Disband Not around anymore Members go on to form the band Amorphous Relapse Records Interested in putting out something um, by these guys, uh, they they say, "Look, we got this uh, um, uh, 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 privilege of evil EP." Uh, I don't know what exactly the disconnect was, but somehow the privilege of evil EP didn't was recorded in May '91, released by Relapse in December '93. Uh, almost a full year after the Carillion Isthmus full length album was released by Relapse Records 92. So, Very Relapse weird. put out the band's full length album, then put out this first EP like a year later. I would imagine it had something to do with based on the popularity of the band yeah, or something of that it. nature. Or, or, um, also the thing is, this was originally supposed to be a split with Incantation, so that probably had something to do with it uh. as well.
3: Yeah, it could have had some label, um, you know, not, some political red tape or something. Yeah, yeah it was, exactly. It no was, moving parts here. Bureaucratic.
0: Uh, it was sitting suit and around tie, like, uh, like waiting to be released, mm-hmm. and then I guess you know it didn't happen. Later on, Incantation's half got released too, like 15 years later. But this was originally supposed to be a split with Incantation. Man, imagine that would have been amazing. Man, cool but enough. on its own, this is just one of the most monumental records of raw, Finnish death metal. And I say finished death metal because Finland has its own style. Um, Demolic or Demolich, however you want to say it, they obviously have their own style compared to anyone wherever they are on the globe, but they have uh, shadows and, and a little bit of that atmosphere of the finish scene. I personally say the finish scene, and from my experience and what I've learned and researched, is like best embodied through Amorphous's uh, Privilege of Evil EP that we're listening to now and their first album, Carillion Isthmus, and older Adromalik, which I mentioned mm. before. Um, I see a lot of connections, too, with this old Amorphous and that Father Be Fouled EP that I recommended for my new uh, recommendation. These kind of go hand-in-hand in, hand in a way for me, in a good, time machine good way. Yeah. coupling. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've recommended this to so many people, man, because uh, it has that raw, brutal, um, super dis- super distorted, noisy quality to it that you get with a lot of your old Swedish bands. Um, the chainsaw, so to speak, sound. HM2s. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, yeah, but there's something, uh, there's an element with Finnish death metal as opposed to Swedish death metal, if we're talking about those 90s geographical terms, where Finnish bands uh, had, I felt like, way more of a dark, doomy atmosphere. Um, A lot of those Swedish bands were very into the kind of like uh, melodramatic, um, you know, atmosphere. You know what I mean? Like extremely melodic, whereas this is dark these guys already. pulled you you know underneath the swamp with with the melodies that they used mm. uh in a lot of these old finnish bands um depravity another finnish band i should talk about more on the podcast too uh that exemplifies that style um, maybe a little bit more of a black metal atmosphere too with these old finnish bands but um uh, just just this privilege of ep uh, privilege of privilege of ep privilege <laughs> of evil ep by amorphous um, really great place to start if you're not, uh, familiar with some of the stuff I'm talking about, old school Finnish death metal, 90s, uh, uh, European death metal. And if you've heard Amorphous, maybe some of their later releases, um, you might not even, like, realize that they had this, this, uh, era of their career where they were playing fairly brutal, straightforward, doomy death metal. And I believe they still, to this day, often whip out the song Vulgar Necro- uh, Necrolatry which was actually an abhorrent song from the band they were in before this. And they'll still bring that out. I saw them do it at Maryland Death Fest a few years back, man. So uh, Amorphous, a band, I don't follow their whole discography. Not every album by Amorphous is my cup of tea, but um, you can't go wrong. The Carillion Isthmus, which was the, the, album, the full-length album that accompanies this EP, Privilege, Privilege of Evil EP, uh, just brilliant death metal, some of the best ever recorded. You can't go wrong, man. And I would also recommend this to... Uh maybe fans of Tumult, Um, mm-hmm. a band that's come to prominence the last few years, especially with their um their their album that what was the what was the album? Clairvoyance. Uh, Planetary Planetary, Clairvoyance, Planetary uh, Clairvoyance album that came out this year. Uh I feel like that's a band that does take some influence from the Finnish style of Death Metal. So, so if you like them, definitely explore this older Amorphous, man. Where's my tape? You guys better give me back my tape. What tape? Uh, I don't know what you're right talking
2: there. about. When you hear this come out.
0: Uh uh yeah, ninety three.
2: Only nine years after the rat. That's crazy. <laughs>
0: and round Alright, so uh, we went round and round time. We, uh, <laughs> we took you back to the swamp That's uh, uh, the Privilege of Evil by Amorphous uh, And we, we took you all the way back to uh, Long Island, man, where Dave Case got his start and uh, still lives Dave, uh, thank you for joining us, talking about your time in Afterbirth and sh- sharing some of those old school brutal death metal stories for us and our listeners uh, Talking about Helmet Interesting experience. And your band Killer Hill, which we uh, encourage the listeners to check out. Um, there's that About a Goat, Seven Inch. Um, and uh, again, just shameless plug that uh, four dimensional flesh afterbirth album coming out on Unique Leader Records in March. Both Dave and I are on it. Um, Justin and Tom, you guys aren't on it, right?
3: Uh, unless
0: we get an invite. Did I miss no. the invite? No, no, not, not no. yet, Will. <laughs> no. <laughs> the bathroom's not done on the album, Justin. You can't come on it. We're not on "Unique yeah. Leader" yet, bud. Yeah. Uh, so, thank you, Dave, for your time. Thanks for driving out on this uh, cold, rainy night to Huntington to our uh, to our to our undiscl- undisclosed location to our studio. I mean, that might or may or may not be in Huntington. Yeah,
2: we're at Tom's house. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs>
0: allegedly. <laughs> we we appreciate you, Dave, uh, and we appreciate you sharing your stories and your time with us tonight, man. Thanks a lot, and we thank wish you, you the best on everything. What's Helmet got coming up?
1: Uh, Helmets going to Australia and New Zealand in May for a few
0: weeks. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Yeah. Sounds good, man. That's
1: that's up next, and uh, I think we got a couple of festival dates in June over in Europe that they're trying to put a couple of uh, club dates around, so I'll probably
0: get over there for a week or so, too. So our listeners in that part of the world can check that out. Killer Hill, anything going on? Uh, This winter, I'm hoping to get out to L.A. to uh,
1: get in on some writing with those guys. Uh, I know they've been working on some new stuff. So hopefully I can get out there soon and get in a room with them and see what they got cooking. <laughs>
0: All right. Anything else you want to plug or anything you want to say to uh, listeners of your bands and projects? Um,
1: not really, but I really just wanted to thank you guys for having me come out. and am uh, not used to anyone giving much of a shit about what I do, so the fact that you did, and you do... It really means a lot to me. I really I really yeah, appreciate man. it, man. Hello, thank you, man. Guys. We want to hear. Yeah. We want to
3: hear what you got. want to hear it all.
0: Cheers, okay. Thanks, man. For coming Damn. down. Yeah. If you were on a Grace Guy's Fallen record, uh, you, you deserve to be on this show. <laughs> and, uh, hey, Shout man. Shout to them.
1: Maybe we could do it again sometime. Yeah, man. Uh, hey, we'll, we'll, yeah.
0: Sal's already calling you, bro. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> Listen, Dave Case, we thank you so much, brother. Uh, heavy Hole Podcast, we got that Heavy Hole Podcast at gmail.com. We got that Facebook page. We got that Instagram, and we got that Twitter, Heavy Hole Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to call us up, how, uh, how could you do that? Listen closely,
3: for I'm only saying this once.
0: Wait, start over? <laughs> That's just,
1: uh, just it, supposed to do that. Give
3: us a call at 631-837- that number, Tom?
1: Give <laughs> us a call at
2: 631-837-3274. Does it spell anything? If you miss that, it's 631-837-3274. Call right. us at one 800 643 ratt <laughs> TT. yes.
3: <laughs> all right, and also check out the Patreon. We got a few Patreons out there now. Uh, thanks, guys. What's the Patreon number? Patreon.com slash Heavy Hole Podcast. Oh,
0: yeah, we're working on bonus episodes. We're going to bring you some more of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Working on other types of bonus content, um, incentives, merchandise. We're bringing that all to you in 2020. Justin, the uh, the, um, the, the little uh, rough sketches and, and, we got? And, and, and images that you were showing me on your device... It looks like a big cassette tape. This yeah, device. Yeah, this is just Justin, like
2: a VHS tape, but you can see what's on it. He's got. It's just, like a CHS. It's got, it's got
0: a screen. What'd you you <laughs> called it your pad. You said it's your your pad. Your your iPad. That's yeah, my that's my, my it's, it's, it's my yeah, iPod. I don't think that's the right English. You say it's my pad, not uh, iPad. Right no. Okay. It's coming out tight, though. But yeah, You can't Justin,
1: like turn the pages of it, though. Justin has this great yeah.
0: cassette that he shows me images on, and we're working on merch it's for sick. you guys. The actual,
2: the, the I think it's the fourth or fifth pressing of Out of the Cellar has a screen on it, and you can just upload <laughs> images. And I was, showing, I was showing Will some goodies. Yeah, man. And maybe maybe we'll show you, the listeners, respectful of your eyes. We'll show you in, in the future.
0: Yeah, we're going to be respectful of your time and your eyes right now. Dave Case in the building. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, guys. Uh, Cheers, heavy Hole Podcast, and we're out. All right, one.